following podcast is brought to you by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Robots vs. Dinosaurs recommends Daryl Lee Australian licorice for all your candy cravings. Robots vs. Dinosaurs is a proud member of the Apocalypse Podcast Network. Check out Apocalypse Podcast Network for more great podcasts. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you, the listener, The Santa Claus, The Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause, Crocodile Dundee 2, The Tooth Fairy, Disney's The Kid, The Sandlot, Archer, Lost, Bicentennial Man, AI, Artificial Intelligence, The Boys, Home Improvement, Toy Story, Toy Story 4, Everybody Loves Raymond. The Mandalorian. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie every week and then try to determine which one is cooler, robots or dinosaurs. I'm your host, Luigi, and with me as always is my co-host, a new co-host every week. This week I have, for the second time ever, a returning co-host. Listeners, you may remember actor and voice actor James Rees from our previous episode, our second, very, very second episode of the show about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. We're both very big fans of that. And James, like my other returning guest, you're the first person to bring both a dinosaur, dino film, and a robo film onto the podcast. So welcome, James. Welcome back. Thanks for having me back. I'm, I'm, I'm really only, only the second returning guest. That's right. I've uh, yeah, I've had a pretty full st- a lot of people that want to mm-hmm. be on the show. So I'm you know Obviously, yeah. it's um, I actually have several episodes recorded that I haven't gotten yeah. around to editing yet. So uh, okay. who's, it's who's a good the, problem who, to have. Who's the other uh, returning guest? Uh, my good friend Jason Carubia. James, yeah. why don't you tell the audience what movie we are going to be discussing today on Robots vs Dinosaurs? All right. So the other night I was, I was like thinking like, oh, I guess um, who's going to do like a Christmas episode? What could he do? There aren't really any like Christmas dinosaur movies or Christmas like robot movies. And I thought, wait, there's a Santa Claus 2. It's like, wait, that movie's insane. He has to do the Santa Claus 2. So I shot you a text <laughs> right away. I was like, dude, you got to do the Santa Claus 2. And thank you so much for inviting me on to discuss it. Absolutely. I have it on good authority that you're uh, somewhat of a SCU, a Santa Claus um, movie cinematic universe uh, expert. I got my PhD at Harvard in the Santa Claus universe. <laughs> um, I studied for 10 years. I'm pretty well-versed. Um, no, this was like, um, like so we were talking about this earlier. Like, like um, every, every, you know, every family has their, ro- their Christmas movies in rotation. And the first Santa Claus was definitely one of them. I saw the second one in, in theaters as a kid, as a when I, was, when I was 13, when it came out. And even then, I remember just thinking, this is... All right, so to kick things off, I think it's fair to say this is just the wildest left turn from an original movie a sequel has probably ever done. Aside from... You ever see Crocodile Dundee 2? Yes. Yes. Where like like I remember watching that thing and like wow what what studio had thought like I remember that great fish out of water story about a plucky Australian played by Paul Hogan let's have him fight a Colombian drug lord <laughs> and then I think they did the same thing here they're just like so we're like all right so like in because he's a Colombian drug lord yes the toy- <laughs> exactly <laughs> who peddles coal at a premium Santa Che um no it was like all right so. In progress from this, like we got the tree, um, we got a, we, my wife and I, we got ourselves a little Charlie Brown tree. Mm-hmm. We're decorating that. And after done, was like, all right, we got to watch a Christmas movie. And I thought, oh, I got this coming up. I may as well watch um, the first Santa Claus. It's been a while. 
So we threw that on. And oh, before I begin, I don't know if uh, you saw my, my beer of choice for the show. It's a nice winter ale for the occasion, a Blue Point winter ale. And if you look on the label, you might see, is it Santa Claus? Is it Scott Calvin? Is it both? We don't know. Oh, it's definitely it's definitely somebody with the initials SC. That's yep. for sure. What's your review of that uh, that that delicious beer that you're drinking? <laughs> it's nice. I like it. Yeah. I'm always I'm always love like the winter ales. It's one of my favorite parts of winter time. Like my favorite beer in the entire world. It was from home. It's called Granville Island Winter Ale, and it's just mm. uh, any time I go home for Christmas, I manage to smuggle back like twenty bottles. Or it's great. Nice. Anyway, we were watching. So I was watching Santa Claus one, and I tried for this podcast. I was taking some notes as well, and I wanted to try and watch with a critical eye because obviously I'm, I'm always going to be so unbiased because I grew up watching that movie. And it's honestly a really, really good movie. Like it's a well-made, well-acted movie, which is also surprisingly grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like like the, the magic is believable because of how grounded it is and also doubly magical because of that. Uh, the sets are beautiful, but they're also not like overwhelming. They just, they really do a great job of just creating the world of the North Pole. And also I get the feeling this is maybe, this is maybe like a PG-13 script, which they just kind of had to tool a bit for a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. So it's also really well balanced in terms of stuff for adults and stuff for kids. And a lot of it is about some really dark subject matter. I mean, Santa Claus dies on the screen in the first 10 minutes. And then it's about a divorced dad trying to win his son's love, but it still works and it's still touching and moving and funny. And Tim Allen really, like that's really hits a home run with that as does everyone else. And, and Jim, it's, I yeah. think the movie's a little fresher in your mind. So let me ask you, in my recollection of the first Santa Claus is when Santa dies in that scene, no yeah. one sheds a tear for Santa. No, cause like, they just, Slapstick. not even Charlie. Not even sure. Like he falls from his roof and dies. Like Tim Allen rightfully is just like, ah. Uh, and then Charlie just goes, "You got him! You got him!" <laughs> I have a question. I have a question. Do we so, know? Uh, is it said anywhere in the series how long that previous Santa Claus, like how many centuries or how many generations uh, they had not, the mantle? Not in the first and second. I've only seen the third one once, so maybe it's brought up in the third one. I but no, that like they don't even say like oh. They they don't even say like who he was before he took over as Santa. He's just kind of mm. like the forgotten Santa from the series then on out. It's like it's Scott Calvin's show all the way. Uh, tell, tell our um, audience real quick, like how how this system works, like how <laughs> the whole Santa Claus, like so, how you become the Santa Claus, <laughs> just in case they so, haven't seen any of these films. So all right, so in the Santa in the Santa Claus, um, basically. A uh, divorced dad, played by Tim Allen, uh, has his kid over, and they don't really get along, and, and he's just has his kid over for Christmas Eve. I think it might be their first Christmas Eve as a divorced couple, um, or as, as a divorced family. And then in the middle of the night, they hear like a, a, a up on the roof of the road, such a clatter, and they Tim Allen st- steps out, sees a man on his roof, and says, "Hey, you." Santa Claus gets surprised, falls, and dies. This is a Disney movie. <laughs> Um, and then he, oh yeah, falling death. Good point. Yes, he does. And then he um looks and so he's like looking for identification. He finds a business card which says Santa Claus and flips it over. Says like um, should something to happen, me put on the suit. The reindeer will know what to do. He's like, and so to I I don't even know why he does it. The fact that he's he, he does it at all. He's like, okay, yeah, I'll do this. And and just to like make his kid happy, which I'm sure one of my dad I will totally relate to. He's like, yeah, to make your kid happy, you'll 
take a dead man's clothes off and put, put mm-hmm. it on and come into the sleigh. <laughs> but and then after that, they deliver all the all the presents in the world that night. And it's then they go they go to the North Pole and Bernard the Elf, who's brilliantly cast and played by David Krummeltz, who it, like yep. that's the other thing. Like right, we'll, we'll get into later, but David Krummeltz, I remember even like as, when I was younger, I was thinking like the fact that they cast a Brooklyn Jew as the head elf and just made him the saltiest guy. <laughs> and David Krummeltz plays it so well. Like it, it, it's, it's a great role, and he really really kills it. That even mm-hmm. when he was like what fifteen or sixteen when they came out, he. Mm-hmm. Like you, you could tell that was a star to watch when when you when you see him in that role. Um, yeah, there is some time between the first two Santa Claus movies. There's there's uh, first one was 1994, and yeah. then eight years passed by yeah. before they they made a sequel. Um, and like some of the differences that sorry, some of the differences that really stood out to me are just the the aesthetic. Number one is insane. Like the the the, the first one, like I was saying, is, is a perfect family movie, kids and adults. This one, they just went straight. This is just for kids, which is fine. There's like, no, this is mm-hmm. a kids movie. We're gonna like tool, like tool towards kids. Uh, we're gonna have it like a very like plucky attitude. Whereas the first one was like a little bit more sardonic and a little more, um, not cynical necessary, but definitely a little more knowing and winky. Um, yes. Where with this one, they're like it's this one's like a straight Disney Channel movie for better or for worse. Like they really and also. <laughs> The soundtrack alone, like the soundtrack in the first is very like timeless and classic. It has like some jazz um, standard versions of um, Christmas carols, but here they have like Simple Plan and Hillary Duff and maybe, all right, so there's a song that plays when the douchebags roll up to the snowy basketball court to play basketball. And there's a like there's like a, a, a new metal Christmas song playing on the stereo where I, I, I remember from what the lyrics says, Santa knows karate. And I don't think this is the yeah. worst Christmas song ever made. Everyone, everyone gives baby as cold outside so much shit nowadays. They have never heard <laughs> Santa knows karate. And I, yeah, also, this, yeah, this, this one has uh, all of the hallmarks of, of a, of a hallmark TV movie, of a Christmas movie, <laughs> um, totally. especially the very fast forward romance. <laughs> yes. And that, that's the thing I feel I don't, don't want to jump the gun, but poor principal Newman is in, pretty much a hostage situation mm-hmm. and she's like guilted like if you don't marry me christmas will be ruined for children forever oh yeah he puts all no of christmas on her shoulders and unfairly and unfairly it is all on her shoulders it is on all, mm-hmm. all, her, all her shoulders it, like like they only have two minutes like it's either you marry me or christmas dies yeah and like yeah, nuts she, for the rest of the world she made her sacrifice that was her cross to bear she took it on the chin and became mrs claus gave up her life in an instant mind you she was just a principal of a high school but she gave up her life in an instant yeah well i mean yeah we'll we'll definitely get into to oh, juliet wow. from lost elizabeth mitchell um that's it. <laughs> that was her thank you yeah oh, it was coming but anyway um, the reason, who, whose name is carol of course you know of course yeah christmas I, carol <laughs> i'm an idiot i only got that for the first time this viewing i was like oh her name's fucking carol you of course it's carol um, but anyway, the reason I wanted to talk about it is because in the mm-hmm. Santa Claus two, yeah. So basically, um, yeah, he falls off, the, falls off the roof, reads the card. It turns out when you read the card, you essentially become Santa, which is the fine, fine, fine print. That's a terrible contract. Mm-hmm. And I, and if I were Scott Calvin, I would sue, but <laughs> basically he says, all right, so you're, you're, you have the year to become Santa, um, Santa Claus, get your affairs in order. We'll ship you up at Thanksgiving and 
he doesn't prepare for anything. So throughout the entire, it's like it's like a body horror movie. He's gaining weight yeah. at a massive rate. He's gaining facial hair. He's he's he's, he's taking all things considered very well. Um, yeah, I want to see the Cronenberg remake. Oh, I love Claus. David Cronenberg's The Santa <laughs> Claus. He's like, what's happening to me? <laughs> Um, you know, they, they, maybe they should have brought Cronenberg in for the second one because there's the whole bit where he's uh, losing the weight. And that could yeah. have been really grotesque and, and dark. Oh, exactly. Oh, and see, like, and just have clumps of his his beard fall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it could have been uh, Disney dr- dropped the ball there. But that was the other thing. Like, so I I remember thinking, like, um, this isn't the same people, right? This is because it's such a 180 in direction. And no, it was yes. a completely different director, completely different screenwriters, and you could tell 100%. Um, so Santa Claus ends. Um, uh, also, the other thing about Santa Claus is poor Charlie's mom is witnessing what she believes her ex-husband to be having a mental breakdown. He's physically changing himself to become Santa Claus to endear. She, like, she is well within her rights to being as upset as she is. Yep. And the movie does a great job of just like playing that really well. And also just with a step... also. The stepdad's a bit of a weenie for Neil, but he's still Judge a Ryan great Holt. guy. Yeah, he's a great guy and a great stepdad, and him and Charlie have a great relationship. And I thought that was super cool of Disney not to have like the dickhead step parent. James Neil is my favorite character in the Santa Claus trilogy. <laughs> he's great. He's like he's like Judge Reinhold. We also need to see more Judge Reinhold in our lives. I don't know yep. where he is or what he's doing now, but I want to see a Judge Hein Reinhold Reinholdessance. But anyway, so like at, at the end. Um, after much family strife, Scott Calvin accepts the role of Santa Claus. He tells in a, in a really moving scene, like, you made me Santa Claus. I have to go away now, but I'll always be here. Which also, I imagine, like, my parents didn't, didn't get divorced until my last year of high school. But I can only imagine as a child watching this movie, if especially if you had divorced parents and the father lived away, how I, I really do wonder what that movie was like to what growing up if you had that perspective. I can tell you that from that perspective. Oh, uh, can't if I'm not crying too deeply, can you? Oh no, not at all. And actually, I think <laughs> this might be this might be one of the reasons why I like Judge Reinhold's character so much because he's a he's a cool stepdad. I right. had a very terrible stepdad <laughs> growing uh, up. Dear. So yeah, so like definitely, uh, I definitely when I saw this the first movie, mm. that was one of my biggest takeaways was like, oh, this is kind of a fantasy for me in a lot of for a lot of reasons but just because mm-hmm. I want to be part of this family. <laughs> yeah. Instead of my own. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, have a, I have a quick question about the sure. first one because it's something that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. It just occurred to me, did, did it just so happen to be that Scott Calvin's house was the last one on the route? Or did Santa die before finishing finishing christmas eve like did he finish his oh, no, job and then no, die it, it was he was he like there he wasn't no he's in the middle of the route it wasn't clear whether or not he was like his last stop for the night was the greater illinois area the greater chicago area I don't, i'm not sure whether his last stop was the greater chicago area but basically like like, like they spend the rest of the night delivering all the presents and granted like they had, they bend space and time as they do so maybe they went other places in the world but it looks like he's just kind of flying to different houses of america and okay. One thing that always amuses me about Santa Claus movies is that in, and now this is a much debated topic. So in movies where Santa Claus exists and adults don't believe in Santa, where do they think these extra presents come from? 
Because all good, like I guarantee, granted that it makes sense. Because in, in some mistakes, like if you get if someone gets like a, a doll or a rocking horse, like oh, I guess um, Joe picked it up. Oh, I guess Molly got that for for the kid. Oh, maybe Grandma sent that. But I can only imagine how I just had this image in my head of the dad or the parents coming downstairs and seeing the kayak next to the tree because at one point um, brings a kayak out in a great physical bit. Mm-hmm. And just imagine like, why did you buy the kayak? We can't even make mortgage payments. Like, it wasn't ready. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was just picturing that in my head. But also, again, the rule, like they, they also create some re- it's really clever writing because of the way they work around some things like how um, – some houses have no chimneys. The chimney mm-hmm. appears. I love the whole conceit of the bag acts as almost like a Mary Poppins umbrella, and he flies down on it. That was super cool. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and and as well as just like the rules of just how you become Santa, which is basically if you find his dead body and read a read a card, tag you're it. But also that was really really creative. Now, eight years later, they make the Santa Claus too. And the conceit is honestly really quite clever. It's mm-hmm. a little frightening, but it's all but it's really quite clever. Which is basically, he's only discovered a month before Christmas that in your eighth year, if you are not married, you forfeit being Santa Claus. You're Santa Claus no more. That's right. Um, as Bernard as Bernard tells us, our number right. two elf overlooked the single most important detail in the history of Christmas, uh, which <laughs> Curtis Curtis, my other favorite character. Yeah. Retorts, wow, one mistake in 900 years, which is fair. Like, it's a big, but it's, same time, it's a big fucking mistake. Like, it's a huge oversight, yeah. Like, it's the kind of thing, like, all I kept thinking, like, this is like, like this equi- has never come up before. No, this is what he did is the equivalent of Trump firing the whole pandemic <laughs> assistance team, <laughs> like, just like the he, like, have some foresight, Curtis. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but but yeah. Also, Spencer yeah. Breslin's great. What happened to Spencer Breslin? Oh, I, I, I didn't. Dude, I, yeah, he like his, his sister's gone to do great things, but I haven't seen him in a long well, who's time. Who's his sister? His sister's Abigail Breslin. Abigail, that's right. Zom, Zombie Land, right? Yeah, she Zombie Land, Zombie the Little Sunshine. Yeah, she's an Oscar nominee. She did great. That's right, Curtis. Um, Spencer Breslin. Have you seen Disney's The Kid? Because he was very brilliant in that movie. Like, young Bruce Bruce Willis. Yeah, and they're like the parallel performance. This kid is like. A, a, a what's the word I'm looking at? Prodigy, like he's a. Um, is that the right word? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like and, I was really impressed. Every everything I've seen him, uh, which is mostly just as a kid, like I, yeah. I, I'm really impressed with. Because I, 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 I was a bad researcher. I didn't IMDb him before this, so I was trying to think of before. Like aside from the kid, and aside from mm-hmm. the Santa Claus two, and I think he's in the mm-hmm. Santa Claus three. Like what else has he done? Before, like at the same time, what else did he do since? Like, oh, I've know? got one. Okay. Uh, he's in one of my favorite sci-fi movies of all time. Okay. The, the Happening. M. Night Shyamalan's Fuck the off. Happening. He's in Happening? <laughs> yep. No way. Yep. What? Yeah. Oh. And I've, I've never seen The Happening. The Happening was one of those oh. movies that has been on my list for years because I heard it's like... It, like, I, again, I don't like to shit on movies, but I heard it's like one of the best bad movies ever made. I heard it's just balls to walls. I was just going to say, yeah. yes, James, as somebody who's been on this show twice, you yeah. would love The Happening. It is uh, nuts. It's the bonkers. One, the one clip I've ever seen is just of the old lady saying, you want to kill me? And Mark Wilber going, what? No. <laughs> and that just cracks my shit up every single time. Um, <laughs> 
But all right, yeah. So <laughs> we get so tracked. So the, all right, so so um, so I, uh, well, I do want to talk a little oh, sure, bit sure, about sure. the the. So the first movie in 1994 was yeah. directed by John Pasquin, and I looked up a couple mm-hmm. of his credits. One was Miss Congeniality Two, Armed and Fabulous, and right. another one was he 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 uh, was involved with Home Improvement. So I'm I'm assuming that's how he got a relationship with Tim out Tim the Toolman Taylor Tim. Yeah, Allen. actually, actually, prior to this, I have like uh, Home Improvement happened to be on TV while I was eating dinner. So like I, mm. I, I got my my Tim Allen prep in for 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 this. So uh, it, yeah. So all right, sorry. Go ahead. And so, yeah. so the second movie, eight years later, this is directed by Michael Lembeck. So mm-hmm. definitely a change in tone. And we'll talk yeah. a lot about like, you, you'll be like the expert to help us uh, right. sort of point out some of the differences and like just the directorial difference. Because Michael Lembeck, his only other credits that I recognize was he directed the, the, the third in the trilogy, mm-hmm. Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause. Mm-hmm. Um, and also The Tooth Fairy starring The Rock which is wow. uh, prescient because of a character played by Art LaFleur in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Wow. So do you think he just like has a thing, like, you know how like, like some some directors have a thing for superheroes. He just has a thing for like children's fairy tale characters, like children's holiday characters. I think so. I think so. God. Did he do Hop? He like might have. I would the, have to the one Easter Bunny movie. Check that. Because <sighs> one of my favorite things about this movie that we'll definitely get into is the Council of Legendary Figures. Um, we, yeah, we haven't really like that is a, a, a rogues gallery of some awesome character actors. I Aisha actually Tyler. wrote down SCU when I, when I saw those guys, like, no, this is like, this is how we build it up. These are the Avengers and now we're going to get a mother nature movie. Mm-hmm. That should have come to be. Um, why don't we, why don't we dive in by talking about the opening shot? Um, and, uh, cause <laughs> there's a lot going on that introduces us into what this SCU is now eight years later. So uh, we get the, this opening shot of this gorgeous Arctic landscape with an Aurora Borealis mm-hmm. and very quickly this huge cargo plane or some sort of research plane is flying by. And uh, one of the crewmen inside says something on sonar, strong reading from underneath the cap rock, sir. And they ask, uh, is it a possible oil flow? And <laughs> he says, no, <laughs> sounds like, what does it sound like? Tiny hammers. <laughs> Uh, we then the camera pans down to this gorgeous snow globe village, yeah. and we see like Mandalorian elves with jetpacks flying around. Yeah, um, it is Christmas AF up here in the North Pole. I, I, I wrote the same thing. I wrote uh, like Santa Claus two balls to the wall. Like they mm-hmm. really, really went all out. And one of my favorite details about this series is the elves are just straight up children. Nobody calls it like it's not. They're not adults that are small or like people with camera tricks to make them look, it's just straight up children, but they are hundreds of years old. Right. And I love that conceit. So that, that was the thing, like in the first movie, that's one of the notes I took, cause the first movie, the, the, the actors that got, they, either their director, they were just really good actors to, to be like, all right, guys, you're really old, you're adults. Keep that in mind when you're delivering your lines. So all the elves have, like a weight to the delivery. They have an extra kind of like sass and not just Bernard, but also like little kids, but also there's um, the other elf, Judy, uh, the, mm-hmm. the, um, who takes them there for the first time. And she does a great performance and she has a, that great line, which is delivered perfectly where um, she said, like she'd give him Coke is, oh, it took me 1200 years to perfect. And he says, well, mm-hmm. for 1200 year old, for uh, 1200 years old, you look pretty good for your age. And she very brilliantly delivers the line. Thanks, but I'm seeing someone in rapping. <laughs> 
and just like it was just a great delivery and then he has a, the, yep. the, the great comic beat and it's great but the difference but the difference between the performances in that movie and the differences in santa claus 2 is they're straight up kids mm-hmm. like they act like kids they are kids like, even though like we've established they are actually millennia old these yeah. are clearly children behaving like children and apparently my wife actually just informed me of this before we began because she like i had a really hard time researching this movie there's i don't know why i couldn't find a lot of uh behind the scenes info on it except for in the first one apparently tim allen would curse a lot around the kids and they had to go up to him and like tim oh. allen, tim stop stop cussing around the kids but in the second Wait, the one the same tim allen that got stopped at an airport for yeah that's tim allen one. really yeah that, so was also the, that was also the <laughs> first time apparently disney hired an ex-con because normally they have like a in, like I guess in ninety four ninety three they had a policy of no of not hiring ex cons which is fucked up for other reasons but uh, they decided yeah. to make uh, an exception for Tim Allen and it worked out well for everyone. Um, yeah, he's he's I, I I have opinions about Tim Allen as a person, but this is <laughs> this right. is a great performance. He's, it is. He is born to play this role. It is. And um, where I was going with that was. Um, my wife told me apparently during the Santa Claus two during the scenes in the North Pole, uh, he had to stay in character the entire time when the cameras weren't rolling, because a lot mm-hmm. of the actors and a lot of the extras who were children playing elves thought he was the real Santa. Oh, that's kind of sweet. So exactly. So he so he just stayed in character the entire time for them. So that was his evolution from being like the curmudgeonly like potty mouth to okay. being the physical embodiment of Santa Claus, which is great. We were so, talking about this plane and like they go into ElfCon, th- or they're, sorry, they're in uh, <laughs> ElfCon 4 yeah. and Bernard says, we got to go to El- ElfCon 3 because <laughs> now, here's, they're about to be detected. And, I yeah. want to talk to you about this because you were in the Navy. Mm-hmm. So I assume ElfCon has something to do with DEFCON. It does. Is that something that you were ever trained in and dealt with like what to do in a DEFCON 4, DEFCON 3? Hundred percent. When you're in active duty, you're you, whatever your command is. Um, you're you're always aware of whatever the DEFCON level is. Mm-hmm. And typically in peacetime, we are in DEFCON five. I think I think for I think we haven't actually been in DEFCON five. DEFCON. So the the five is the highest. Well, it's it's semantic. There's a lot of semantics here. So, <laughs> but five means we're totally safe. Five means world peace. And okay. I don't think we've been at DEFCON five for a really long time. Yeah. I think we're normally at DEFCON 4. Good. So DEFCON 1 means like all out war, our, all, of our, all of our resources are ready to be mobilized at a moment's notice. All so of does, our weapons are armed and the safety is off is basically so, it. So they go to ELFCON 1. Does mm-hmm. that mean they were going to like torpedo that plane? I think that might have been the contingency because El- ELFCON 3 God. is just alarms are playing. Yeah. ELFCON 2... They uh, let, let's see. They they initially. I wrote down some of the tech inside of their like submarine or whatever base with their periscope. Right. The, all the switches they're flipping. So they turn on a polar magnet, a lunar reflector, and northern lights. So that's Elfcon two, and then Elfcon one. They rig for silent running, and this is where they use a couple of made up things because I because <laughs> I looked these up to see if they're real. A radar scopatric yeah. hydrilar. <laughs> and modulating accelerated acceleratic modulating acceleratic polarizer. So that's like, I don't know what those would do, but I'm assuming vaporize that plane and erase the memories I, of the people on board. 
God, is, is Santa really that like like also at the same time? Is it really so bad for adults to know that? Like, what, what is it like Wakanda? Are they just afraid that they're going to come in and like steal all their resources and they're just trying to protect themselves? Like, I'm not sure. But if they were serious about protecting themselves, they might not candy stripe paint their periscope red <laughs> and white. They might just have it be camouflaged and blended with the snow. Um, another like, thing is. Why were some of those elves dressed like like cartoon Frenchmen or the Beagle Boys <laughs> from, from DuckTales with yeah. the striped shirt and his beret? That was when you first Shirts saw Santa with his beret, but not the last. Mm-hmm. And that's what I what I kind of loved to see him like the the, the military esque mm-hmm. beret. Hooray. This 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 all ends with the the plane peacefully flying away, and they talk about how they heard Smokey Robinson, and they maybe maybe or maybe not should report that. And Curtis is the one that almost ruins the whole thing. Well, actually, Toy Santa. Yeah. Uh, this is our first introduction to Toy Ooh, Santa. Curtis is holding him. And here is, out of all of the things that I, I have to suspend disbelief in for this movie, mm-hmm. James, have you ever had one of those toys, like a Big Mouth Bass or like the <laughs> whatever thing, like you get them at a department store and you press, they have a big red button on it. You press oh, yeah. it. It does a pre-recorded dance mm-hmm. and, and, and like jingle for a bit until it's done mm-hmm. there's no other button on it right? right so once that thing is started you just have to bear with it until it is it's run its course so mm-hmm. they they what's happening is curtis is like rocking out with this toy santa hanging out he's oblivious to the fact that they're in defcon one and santa claus comes over and just presses that red button and it immediately shuts off cutting the noise I call BS. Well, Those yeah. toys don't work that way. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was that that, that was. A, I thought like, well, he's Santa. He maybe maybe he has some sort of power of the toy. But also, one thing that like I had a really hard time suspending disbelief for. Like again, I have never been in the military. I don't know military tech. I don't know how good those um, track and planes microphones are. But mm-hmm. I've had those toys, and they literally sound like this. <laughs> <laughs> and but either it's the loudest fucking santa in the entire world like like has like a like a bose speaker in there or they just have the best microphones on the face of the earth that has ever existed that they can pick that up in a snowstorm in the north pole they do have very very sensitive equipment that okay. that could potentially detect that faint of a noise if it is the only noise especially coming from underground okay. because that's kind of what it's designed for and then the Got sound it. travels better through solids right. uh, than the air so that is exactly what they're looking for um so that's a realistic be- scene in the santa claus too that that, that yeah. a, okay that's cool that's i didn't know that all right, well, my nice question movie. to you, though, when you when you had one of those animatronic Santa dancing toys as a kid, did it have the soul of Joseph Stalin trapped inside of it? It like was C-3PO. It was C-3PO, <laughs> okay. so perhaps. Got it. <laughs> Maybe. Because <laughs> it does not take long for this. Um, <laughs> what, we're going to get to it very quickly, but yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take long for it to go from bumbling buffoon that doesn't seem to – that's just <laughs> learning what the world is to <laughs> North Pole Hitler. <laughs> And that again, that is one of the create like like so. That's one of the things I kind of I wrote about this movie is that this movie is two movies smashed together, because mm-hmm. the basic conceit of Scott has to Santa has to get married or he ceases or he ceases to be Santa Claus, so he has to go home and find a wife. At the same time, a really great addition I thought was having Charlie be on the naughty list because now you get mm-hmm. to see how he's doing without his dad, uh, how he's coping with his dad being Santa Claus, and that I thought that I thought was actually all really well done, really well written. And a thought, He's got um, a great line in this movie that we're, yeah, about uh, that, yeah. What line are you thinking? 
Oh, what later on it's he uh he gets really upset because he says that his his whole life has become about lies yeah. and he hates it. And it's it's really like because it, it is baffling why Charlie is so different and why he's he's spray painting lockers in the middle of the day and not getting caught yeah. um <laughs> until he does get caught. Yeah. I don't know how he got that much spray paint, whatever. Um but <laughs> but it's weird that he's acting out this brazenly mm-hmm. and then like acting like, no, there's nothing wrong with me spray painting lockers. I'm not in the wrong. The principal's in the wrong. And it's such a 180 from him in the first movie. But when he does finally break down and yell at his dad, like, you are making me lie to people and I don't like lying, it all comes together for me. And also, um, his, like, I forget the child actor's name, Eric. Eric Lloyd. Eric Lloyd. Eric Lloyd. Thank you. He, like, they lucked out that he kept that he was able to keep up the acting chops because every now and then you cast a child actor and you have to keep him throughout the series and you're just kind of like, mm. but he really did a great job of just playing this this angsty teen and understandably angsty teen. Like, it's hard enough being from a broken home, mm-hmm. and every now and then I won. Like, one, like I kept kind kind of making the illusion in my head like is that what it's like to have a famous father or a famous parent he literally has to share his dad with the entire world and has to accept it which i can only imagine that's what tim allen tim allen's kids actually have to put up with like i can only imagine what it's like going like if like if your dad or your mom is famous and you're walking down the street and everyone just really wants a piece of them like remember like i was watching um the new season of the boys and like they mm. kind of covered that a little bit with spoilers for the boys homelander and his son Mm-hmm. And I thought that, like, I thought that was really interesting. I, just, I couldn't help but think. I, mean, I definitely made the connection this time between like, this, like this must be what it's like to have a famous father, but your famous father is Santa Claus, and you can't tell anyone. That's a yeah. For, unless, unless your dad's Batman, it's really about that's really the only the, the, that's the only harder secret is that your dad's Batman. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and also we see that Charlie has picked up spelunking at some point. Uh, yep. He I, I'm, comes back later in the movie. He seems to be very skilled at repelling. And, yeah. and Chicago uh, has a really great splunking scene. I don't know if you know. They're <laughs> huge, huge splunkers there. I haven't um, spent a lot of time in Chicago. Maybe maybe when I go back there. Maybe. Yeah, I was going to say we find out that it is twenty. There's 28 days till Christmas, and that's how long Scott Calvin has to find and marry somebody. Um, that the this card, the second card that we're reading. In this movie, the Mrs. Claus, it's telling mm. us about the second clause of the Santa Claus clause within. If listeners, if you can't tell, I'm saying clause with an E. Yes. That's the clever bit in the in this trilogy. Right. So, <laughs> but now for the rest of all time, people will be spelling the name Santa Claus incorrectly because of this movie. Absolutely. Like, like no, it's a play on words. So, it, like, it's it's one of those weird things that whenever I see someone write "Dear Santa Claus" and include the E, it's like no. That's the movie. Uh, joke. We only get we only get bits of the fine print on this because Tim Allen's sort of like reading it out loud, and I think he's ad libbing a little bit. But he says totally. he reads it off, and he says like one true love or better half. In fact, a woman of his choosing to be bound in holy matrimony. Then he says not valid in the state of Utah, but I think that's just <laughs> the comedian like Tim Allen. Ad-libbing I hope so. It. Otherwise, just go to Utah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Movie's and, over. And like all right, I guess we're going to find a legal loophole. As Mrs. Claus, yeah. so I mean, what what would you do with this information if you were told uh, you have less than four weeks to find find somebody, uh, uh, find a woman, and convince her to give up whatever life she has and 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 also her entire like body, uh, <laughs> whatever <laughs> shape she's in, um, it, that like you, you have to let her 
inform her that like get her to wrap her mind around the fact that that's going to drastically change. And like you have less than four weeks to convince somebody like what would you do with this information, Jim? So my first thought, and this would not be very Disney friendly, but the best breaking case of emergency scenario is go to his ex-wife and say, look, if you don't remarry me, Christmas will end. This can be purely a marriage of convenience. Bring Neil along. He'll be like uh, the head elf and we'll keep him hidden. It'll be like a very like JFK, Marilyn Monroe like scenario. And that way Christmas is saved. And I think that should have been brought up. That is then also like just to let, um, what was her name? Well, like, what was the mom's name again? Laura Miller. Yeah. Laura. By Wendy Cruson. Yeah. Oh, I love Wendy Cruson. And uh, go to Laura. Like, hey, Laura, look, this is the deal. And then at least gauge that. The next step I would have thought would be an old girlfriends, like go through the list. Like who did we, like who are the ones that got away? Who mm. could you maybe convince to, do this for like like who's the who's the most likely to fall back in love Here's, it's it's not it's it is hard to get someone to fall in love with you it's a little bit less hard maybe i'd imagine I'd, i've never had to do this myself thankfully it, trying to get someone to fall back in love with you mm. so i imagine like at least you have like you have you have a somewhat of a foot in the door at least the foot has been in that door but he goes the hard route he lets his ex-wife set him up which i mm-hmm. Again, not divorced. I have no idea whether we like, I, I, like, and I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of exes who are good friends. I can only imagine what it would feel like having your ex like set you up with someone and how your ex could sell. Like, so you want me to date this guy that you divorced? <laughs> like, I, 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 you, you'd have to be a lot of explaining there. And then, so then, but then enters in uh, Molly Shannon. And Molly whenever, Shannon. whenever she shows up, a movie gets 20% better. Uh, it really she does. goes for it and she kills it she's great like i remember like this came out like a year after british office a few years before american office and this is full-on office style cringe humor and i, I even remember being a 13 year old theater just like burying myself in my seat i couldn't take it there was also a bit of movie trivia found from that scene which i loved which is apparently and I, I couldn't i was reading this before i watched the movie i listened carefully i couldn't hear it, but apparently all the extras in that scene or maybe it's just the adr looping say the same three things which is oh my god cheers we're having a great time so if you just apparently, apparently if you listen to that probably those are the only three lines anyone's saying the entire time i, I desperately was listening the entire scene like right, what did they say? But, yeah i don't think molly shannon has whatever it is that's inside most people that allows you to be embarrassed like she just no. goes for it 100%. which is why mary Catherine gallagher is one of the best snl characters of all time and why she mm-hmm. kills as that character because she because like you, you put you hit the nail on the head she doesn't have that bone she doesn't mm-hmm. have that muscle she has no shame and that makes her a but great it, but it doesn't work out between scott and tracy oh, uh, sadly it doesn't <laughs> but again <laughs> because again. of her actually she she's the one that's like you know what? You're not good enough for me. You didn't like my song. You didn't like that I went for it. And but Christmas is on the line. He could have liked the song to save Christmas, but he, but he, he, but, he but she, but he, he was like, eh, not for me. This one's a little, eh. uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, uh, well, what the the this is all happening while um, <laughs> Scott has to has to leave the North Pole. So this is adding another another layer of complexity here. To his to his problem is that um, not only does he have to he have twenty eight days to solve this issue, 
but it's during the busiest 28 days of the year. He's got to be inspecting things. He's got to be checking the naughty list twice, which we find out later that he skimmed on that. He only checked it (laughs) once and he's over, you know, he, so, so Curtis comes up with a solution. Curtis offers the solution to the problem, which is to make him because father time, Peter Boyle states that you can't be two places at once. And that gives them the idea to let him be two places at once. So, so James, can you explain this part of this? This is the biggest part of the plot that we're going to drill into. Um, How do they make it so that Santa can be in two places at once this year? All right. So before I do just point out Peter Bull, Mm -hmm. returning actor, he was in um, the first Santa Claus as Tim, uh, Scott Calvin's boss. The one who says, the one who says like, uh, oh, you're, you're falling apart. You need to get to see a shrink because he's just gaining this weight and, t- and going to everyone like, hey, I like cookies. Like, like, like where are the elves? And that and so that um, that was crazy, and which made me think, I remember that like, on this this round after watching it back to back. So did Peter Boyle kill Father Time? And did he have to take over his father time? <laughs> oh, man, I think you're onto something. I, 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 yeah, like, so what if everybody logically in the legendary sense. figures... That's it's the same rotating thing, and oh man, and that explains why the Tooth Fairy, Art Lafleur, wants a new name. Right? Exactly. He wants he wants his own brand. He wants his own skin yeah. on the Tooth Fairy. And and at the same time, how did Scott Calvin's boss run into Father Time? How did he die? Mm. Does he have a card you have to read with a fine print? I have a lot of questions, and also those the the lines that I, I was mentioning earlier that they keep repeating are even better. It's the three lines I keep saying over and over again are, oh, my God, I'll drink to that and cheers. <laughs> so next time I rewatching and have to like find a way to turn the dialogue down real low to hear that. So um, as Scott Calvin's boss slash father time says, you can't play two places at once. Curtis says, ooh, maybe you can. And essentially brings up the first ever 3D printer. Um, <laughs> the pantograph. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> And like like the straight up cloning machine, and mm-hmm. says so basically we can put organic matter through this machine, and it will come out as a toy. Um, they this uh, they see this uh, tested out with a mouse. The mouse happens to run in, which I go, oh, I guess there are mice in the North Pole. Um, yeah, mouse not? comes in, a, sl- <laughs> a slightly shinier mouse follows. Yep. And so without thinking, like they think, well, it's good enough for a mouse. It's good enough for me. He risks his life and risks Christmas by going into this thing. Mm-hmm. And out comes a frightening looking, terrifying Tim Allen Santa Claus. Like I remember when I first saw the Easter Bunny and the the mythical creatures um meeting, thought I wrote down this is the stuff of nightmares. Mm-hmm. And Santa showed up and said, No, this is the stuff of nightmares. Because <laughs> he's just and also, Tim Allen, like, he's having a blast, and I admire that because he's clearly not getting to play these kind of roles often, like, except, except for when that obligatory part in every Toy Story movie where Buzz Lightyear forgets he's Buzz Lightyear. Mm. really gets to go that big and go the hammy. Yeah. And it's kind of fun to see. It's kind of fun to see him just play this, like, crazy, bizarre, over-the-top character, but with a real dark side. I mm. feel like he yep. was kind of relishing that. So anyway, they get the toy Santa, which all the elves buy 100% is definitely Santa. Even though they're suspicious, Bernard says, trust With me. With Bernard's help. Even if, all right, all right, so let's say, let's say like um, someone really important in your life, like your best friend 
Oh, your dad. Like, it's like imagine if um, your mom came in the room and was like, hey, dad looks a bit different now, but I'd say he looks better. So don't, but don't say anything. And this weird plastic man walked in. You wouldn't go, oh, hey, dad, you look great. You're like, what the fuck happened to you, dad? I'd be more concerned about mom than dad. Yes. I'd be like, what, why, how do you not see this? What, what, and also, <laughs> what are you trying to cover up? Why are you exactly. on this? <laughs> Like the elves just like like I get, I get it they're elves they haven't really had to question much in the in the past a thousand years but mm. that that that's a red flag so yeah. he shows up he he's a he's a bumbling idiot he's like ah I like coke ah, ho 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 you're doing a great job and then they give him the rule book to study yeah and I when, couldn't go ahead when he first comes out of that machine he's literally like googling and like making just noises when he opens <laughs> his mouth like a baby he's a newborn. And, and I got to say the hair and the beard are the part that like haunt my nightmares the most <laughs> and, until we see his hands later. And then it's yeah. his hands. Yes. And this thing just gets more disturbing as the movie goes on. We see more of it. Jim, before we move forward, mm. last time you came on the podcast, you brought a dinosaur movie and we talked about the big question of what is a dinosaur. I'm so glad. Uh, so listeners this, yeah. definitely, definitely go back and listen to that so we can get all of Jim's thoughts about what a dinosaur is. This time I want to ask you, what is a robot? In your mind, what is a robot? So I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this a lot. I think in, in its, bare, its, its bare definition is a robot is a machine created by man to make man's life easier, which contains some sort of artificial intelligence. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people like associate more to like science fiction characters, but a robot is essentially a mechanical arm in an auto plant, which is programmed to do the same thing over and over again. That's a robot that's there yep. to make everyone's lives easier. So in purely those forms, this is this is like plastic Santa is a robot. Toy Santa is a robot Santa. He was he was been he was made by well elves, but made by elves to make everyone's lives easier and mm-hmm. to bear some art, artificial intelligence. But that's well, that's the thing that that I remember I wrote down I didn't catch until this this viewing is he says he will look just like you and he'll think just like you. Yeah. So are these Scott Calvin's dark thoughts? coming well, after robo santa like like no children are nice that's a good question and mm. i have a theory about it because mm. when they're talking about when uh they're talking about the pantograph machine that makes him Cur- scott calvin's looking at it and uh curtis is explaining he made some improvements he tripled the ram reconfigured the circuitry path externalized the power source uh not to make better use of the electromagnetic energy just because it looks really cool <laughs> and yeah. then he says i added a fuzzy logic circuit Mm. So the duplicate will look and think just like you. So I don't, I don't know a ton about robotics and programming, but a right. uh, fuzzy logic circuit is, is to make a robot be more human in that it doesn't follow just pre-programmed mm-hmm. protocols or instructions. It can sort of respond to stimulus in its environment and respond and, and act accordingly based on its crunching of the environmental factors into what is the best thing to do next in this situation so it yeah there's definitely what it is is it's my theory it starts out with the same collection of memories thoughts and everything that scott calvin has in his brain but it's not organized the same way that scott calvin would organize those thoughts and the Mm -hmm. fuzzy fuzzy logic circuit is what's letting it go from this like reset point this base point where it can't even say full sentences at first to (laughs) learning rules first right rules 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 and then everything else 
So I guess I, so. What I took the fuzzy logic circuit to mean was like it'll think kind of like you. So I, I think things with that definition because I was confused. I thought like maybe like all right, so he's going to think like you're going to throw in the fuzzy light to make him a little fuzzier. So he's not going to be a total clone of you because that'd be existentially terrifying. He's going yeah. to kind of think like you and kind of think your thoughts. So I kept thinking like, does Robo Santa know who Charlie is? Does he have any memories of his past life? Like now thinking back on it now, I think it's a lot like it's like a RoboCop scenario. Like is after um, RoboCop is booted up, he's essentially a blank slate who all of a sudden is like fighting with these memories. At any point, do you think Robo Santa is having like images of Santa falling off the roof and Charlie being born and his wedding and his like signing his divorce papers? Mm. Do you think there's any of those like? I, I, I want to see if there's on the cutting room floor any scenes of him just all of a sudden seeing Maura's face or Laura's face. We do find out later that he is very aware of the fact that he doesn't have a mother. Right. <laughs> I, I took that note too. Yeah, when he's making when he's making that toy soldier. Ooh, first thing we see of Robo Santa is his plastic butt, which then <laughs> yep. like immediately you just see his plastic butt, which then his like, plastic tushy. Exactly. So I had no, I had to write this down because that's the first thing that came to my mind. Does Robo Santa have a dick? This is worth talking about. Let's let's unpack this. Okay. So I he's don't. Got a, yeah. Oh God. Yes. I, I was going to say. Like, I was, was going to say. Like he does have a butt. But he doesn't have an anus. It's clearly like a, like a Ken butt. It's like like there's like the cheeks don't spread. It's very much like melded together. So if you're following Ken doll logic, it's just like smooth down there. Mm-hmm. But he's also a perfect replica of Scott or Santa, which got me thinking for the first time in my life: Does Santa have a dick? Which mm-hmm. is a thought I've never occurred of. I'm sure he does, but it's just something I've never that's never occurred to me until this this go around. But yeah, I, all I could wonder is. Does Robo Santa have a dick? Is it like a replica of Blade Santa... Runner? Can he procreate? Yeah, because I don't know if Santa needs to procreate, right? Because Santa, Santa, you never hear of any versions of Santa that have children, right? Oh no, there is that uh, Vince Vaughn movie. Um, right. <laughs> oh no, he's his brother. Right. I'm misremembering that, so right. I don't know I think if in Santa the third Claus one, though, is capable of having children. In the third one, though, I think they have a baby. Oh, I very, very vaguely okay. remember that. I very vaguely remember that. So I guess Santa does have a dick. Um, okay. So um, Robo Santa, Robo we, Santa, we find Bernard describes him as he has a rubber face and a plastic tushy. I think that, yeah, man, it's it's a tough, it's really a tough question. <laughs> oh, my notes are so scattershot. I can't find it. We'll probably see it later. But yeah, so he says like, I have a mother. So that that is what I wrote down actually. Are we, uh, Santa was nur- if Robo Santa was nurtured, and just taught, like if like it's basically basically Curtis is his mother. Mm-hmm. So if, if Curtis had nurtured him and like explained, like is it saying that if if we had nurtured him, would he become the Santa we know and love? But when you just mm. ignore a child, say follow the rules, that's what lead like follow authority, that's what leads to totalitarianism. Mm. Yeah. Like is that what it's positing? I also posit that this movie is a scathing indictment of of automization. Okay. Because the minute, like, like, basically, like, I also think that here's my all right. The North Pole is clearly Detroit. It's a plant. They had it's freezing cold. They have mediocre football, and <laughs> like, and then all of a sudden, a robot comes in, steals everyone's jobs, and then there's that shocking scene of child elves in a coal mine, <laughs> just covered in soot. There's some dark imagery in this movie. Like in mm-hmm. like in the first one, you see Santa Claus die on the screen. This feels a lot darker. 
in so mm-hmm. many ways. And this one's rated G. This was intended for all audience, all ages. It gets disturbing real quick because because after like the Goo Goo Gaga and and uh, Toy Santa, Santa Hitler, Santa <laughs> Stalin Claus, <laughs> being able to sort of repeat and mimic stuff at first, mm-hmm. he starts. He goes through this sequence where he's like trying out different inflections of ho ho ho. Ho, 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 ho. And just trying, just, he's sort of trying his, his, all of his faculties out. It's like, he's exploring himself and exploring the world. And the thing that's keeping him tethered and grounded and focused is this book that he carries around everywhere Mm -hmm. that has the rules and he checks the rules and he enforces the rules. Which led me to think, this is also, again, one of the first times I really thought about this. Is this also trying to say something about religion? Mm. because essentially like he's given essentially a Bible saying, follow this by the T and he does. And even when he brings up certain points and like, like, like oh, this kid wiped snot on his sister's nose, on his sister's clothing. And we're putting him on the nice list. Like, like, and Curtis says, well, we got to cut him some stuff. Like, no, by the rules. Yeah. So I feel, like I really got some religious allegories in this go around. Like I really do. Like I'm, Cur- we're, Curtis we're, quite we're, literally recreates the monster. He does. I was gonna say, like, like, we're giving this movie a lot of credit here, but like, <laughs> like, 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 I'm, I'm, like, I'm sure this is just a studio just saying, like, because this really is the craziest B plot I think in any movie sequel ever made. Because the mm. like, the main plot you'd think would be enough to make an entire new Santa Claus movie. It was just like, okay, it was also the story should have been not just Santa Claus finding, um, finding a wife, but. Scott deciding whether or not he really does want to be Santa Claus anymore. He's missing all this time with Charlie and the kind of sort of dressing up. It's not so much him making that decision, but resigning himself to it. Mm. I would have loved to have seen Scott have to make some hard decisions, seeing Charlie go through all these hard times in his life, seeing his old life, like going back to his old life and falling in love and living a normal life. I would have loved to have seen the last temptation of Santa Claus just seemed like maybe he could live <laughs> a normal life. <laughs> but, but then, and I, I'm probably wondering if maybe that was in the original script, but then they showed, then they showed it to like a uh, Michael Eisner and it's like, oh, I don't know. It was like, then one studio had to like, but what if they have to mm-hmm. fight an evil robot Santa? It's like, <laughs> yes. Or maybe that was like yeah. the second script. And they, cause like when you look at the, at the IMDb credits, there are like eight writers on this movie. And I, I, so I, I, I really do wonder if these really like I was making a joke earlier that these were two movies slapped together. Maybe these actually are two movies slapped together. That's they the, it, yeah, yeah. And I, I couldn't find any information on whether or not that's true, but I, I really had that theory this time watching. Like I, I genuinely think these are just two movies they crammed together because both of them were just too short to make an actual feature length film. It feels like it. It definitely yeah. feels like it. The the so one of the things that leads to him being so obsessed with the rules is Curtis himself, because Kurt, Curtis, when he when he presents the book, he says, "Take a look at this," and the toy looks at it and he says, "Looks great," and then <laughs> Curtis says, "No, read it," um, and then the toy <laughs> yeah. says, "Well, let's try to be specific." So I feel like we find out here he is the toy. He needs he needs instructions at this point. He needs yeah. specificity. He, he's he's a baby and he's a robot, so he need, he's craving programming input. He needs like more interaction from his maker mm-hmm. before he can become self, uh, I guess, sentient or yeah. autonomous. But it does not take long before <laughs> he is saying things like, 
uh, I want to check the naughty list, uh, the naughty nice list twice. And Bernard says that the real Santa already did. And the toy, this is like just a couple scenes in, says, I am the real Santa. Yes. And that's a terrifying line. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was a good. And I have some evidence that he might not have a penis. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell. He guzzles gallons and gallons of cocoa, boiling cocoa. Oh. But does he have a weight? Like, what's his waste management system? What is the waste removal? System? That's a good. So he's just like, is he just like fueled by cocoa? Like, how does he? Right. Does he have like an exhaust pipe where that comes out? Because he like he has no penis. He has no mm-hmm. anus. Yeah. Like it's, it's not, he's not like throwing it up. It's not coming out as like any orifices. So and he's, he's made of plastic. So boiling cocoa should melt him from the inside. Shouldn't it? I just had a thought. I just had a thought. Mm-hmm. Do you think all the cocoa made robot Santa short circuit? There it is. Do you we think that's why he went it. crazy? Like, the, yep. he, like he, like he drank all his cocoa and like it, it went fried some circuits and that's yep. what made him go loopy. He really would have just been a nice affable, like, toy but no the cocoa turned him into hitler yeah the santa pole pot <laughs> north pole <Yeah>. pot <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness uh, and um, this movie. he very quickly also goes from that he likes he likes following the rules at first when he first gets the book i'll memorize everything in the book i'll follow all the rules because rules are very important and he shout talks every time he talks <laughs> Later on, after he declares, I'm the real Santa, he then says, I like the rules. I think you're aware of how I feel about that. I'm a rule maker. So he's gone from rule follower, stringent rule follower, to, oh, I have power here. I'm the rule maker. I'm the real Santa because the one that made me or I'm not cloned from left. So I'm in charge. This is my operation now. (laughs) He really does have like a Napoleon from Animal Farm quality to him. Oh, good parallel. Go can you can you elaborate a little bit on that? It's been a very long time since I read it. It's been, but um, Sno- no snowball is the essentially the Lenin, um, right? He's the one who dies, and they try and follow his. And Napoleon is the one who takes over. He's like the Stalin figure. Am, am I remembering mm-hmm. that right? And so basically, it starts off four legs good, two legs bad. All mm-hmm. animals are created equal. But then as it goes on, the Napoleon goes over and changes the rules a little bit to say four legs good, two legs better. And mm. all animal are created all animals are created equal, but some animals are more equal than others. <laughs> Maybe this is its most scathing indictment is communism. Mm. And because also we know Tim Allen's uh, political leanings. Maybe this is how he views communism. And he, but that's he, funny because yeah. the North Pole is a functioning commune. It's <laughs> right. <laughs> They don't have a form of currency. Nobody wants for anything. They have everything they possibly could need. I never thought of it that way. Wow. It's a, it's a utopia. <laughs> and they, wow. <laughs> uh. <laughs> what maybe that maybe that's maybe that's what Bernie Sanders needed to do to get everyone on, on yeah. the side of social and guys, you know Santa Claus? Look at the North Pole. It's wonderful. We could be like the North Pole. Uh. I am once again asking you. To be nice. Don't be naughty. I'll make another list. I'm once again asking you for cooking. Check it twice. <laughs> so th- then there's a scene where he's playing tinsel football yep. with some of the elves. And he very quickly goes from trying to, like, he stops, he gives up the goal of the game, which they they let, they let make clear to him is just, like, bring the ball to this area, get a, get mm-hmm. a point, and score. 
And he very quickly changed, like, that's not his goal anymore. He starts just chasing the elves to try to smash them and tackle them. He becomes and straight up Vontae's perfect. He is just a, he doesn't care about the game. He wants to annihilate. And I could watch yeah. that scene on loop. I could watch Santa beat the shit out of children all day long. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually a really great scene. And, and he has uh, such animosity towards children. He does. And also, like, I think at one point I saw this. Um, so for many years, I worked at FAO Shorts when I first moved to the city. And that was actually really great. So like whenever I watched Christmas movies and toy movies, I always has a weird connection to it for better, for worse. And when Santa was going on that, it was like, why do children deserve it? All oh, children are naughty. It's like, yeah, good call. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've met some shitty kids like they're just like yeah you don't deserve these toys your parents are buying you so like you do deserve to be on the naughty list I, and I once petitioned I think it's like can, I, can we bring like lumps of coal just to, to work and just like hand out the coal I think that was shot down yeah because imagine getting that confirmation I am oh, not only like because yeah, every kid has bad tendencies or does bad things but to get a piece of coal on Christmas is like Oh, this is confirmation that as a person from the inside, I am a bad kid and I have one year to turn things around. <laughs> and I wonder what would it t- what it would take for a parent to get to the point where they have to say, no, my kid's getting mm-hmm. cold this year. Reason isn't working. I need to convince him Santa hates him. Yeah. Or, or um, And in this case, Santa does hate them. He talks about this one kid, Sven Holstrom in Denmark, mm-hmm. yeah. who wiped his nose on his sister's shirt. Mm-hmm. And Curtis, Curtis tries to appeal to him and he says, try to cut the, we try to cut the kids some slack this time of year. And Toy Santa yells, I don't understand that. <laughs> and his goal at this point is to give every kid coal. And if they don't have a stocking, he wants the elves to make them a stocking so that they can stuff it with coal. Mm-hmm. He becomes obsessed with this idea of no, nobody deserves, there is no such thing as nice. Nobody is good enough to be on the nice list. The nice list exists as this impossible ambition that no kid can achieve. And he feels it's necessary to teach the whole world a lesson this year and, and, and convince every kid that they're terrible and naughty. Which I didn't realize until this viewing. And I felt like an idiot for not realizing is a major plot point in Futurama. I totally didn't like, do, do you watch Futurama? I do. I do. In, in Futurama in the year 3000, it's discovered that they tried to actually make a robot Santa to yes. give gifts to all the all the kids, all the boys and girls until Santa like someone went falls with Santa's pro, Santa's programming he, and he realizes that no one can live up to that standard and he mm-hmm. actually tries to kill everyone on Earth and there's no way to shut him down so Santa so Christmas every year becomes a time to batten the hatches and lock the doors because there's actual an evil robot Santa going to kill you all. I oh, didn't realize right. and I don't know what came first. But I didn't realize that was the exact same plot as the Christmas episodes in Futurama. Oh, man, that's funny. <laughs> After a while, Toy Santa realizes that he doesn't quite have the absolute control and absolute uh, loyalty of his elves as he, as he wants. So we see this scene that we kind of alluded to this earlier where he's, uh, he's, he's got like this toy that he himself is painting and, and carefully making and um, he ends up calling it a little nudge soldier because yeah. uh, when he puts when he puts it into the panto pan, pantograph, mm-hmm. he says, "There you go. You just need a little nudge. That's what I'll call you, the little nudge soldiers." And um, and he does also call out that these have porcelain bodies, which I find hard to believe later on. But yeah. 
Um, here is a really interesting thing that I want to unpack. He says to it, I just couldn't sleep thinking about all those rules. Am I wrong? Am I right? Doesn't matter. Could have been the three gallons of cocoa I had. You understand rules. You're highly decorated. There's a face only a mom would like. I don't have a mom, so I wouldn't know about that. So two big things in here. The I don't have a mom part that we kind of unpacked, but also I just couldn't sleep thinking about all those rules. Does Toy Santa need to sleep? I didn't pick that up until you just said, that's a fair point. So does, like, so it doesn't have things that keep me up at night. That's fair. Like, (laughs) wait, so does this Santa have an on-off switch like the Santa from the beginning? Like, can you turn Toy Santa off? Why hasn't that become a a part of the goal? Like them trying to find Toy Santa's off switch. uh, Does he have an off switch? Is he just, what's he powered on? Is he powered by Coco? But is he powered by Christmas spirit? Oh, I have so many questions now. That just opens up everything. Just thinking does robot. <laughs> Do I think he's powered by fascism because shortly after this, yeah. we see him in his North Pole Hitler uniform with the black coat and, and the, the sash and the medals and the beret. <laughs> he shuts down the factory. He halts the means of production. He seizes the means of production. He says they're not making toys. The children of the world don't deserve presents. And then his army of toy soldiers come in and they abduct Bernard in a yeah. terror if i was a kid when i first saw this movie like mm. if i was a really little kid when i first saw this movie yeah. i would be like i don't know what i would think they were about to do to bernard yeah and all because he didn't get enough sleep yeah <laughs> do robo santa's dream of electric reindeer <laughs> uh well he definitely mm. dreams of decimation and destruction mm. and violence because at one point he's singing jingle bells and he sings dashing through the snow in a strip mining machine <laughs> <laughs> He calls one of the elves a little troll. And I don't know if that's a pejorative or if this is actually like, are there trolls that are in addition to elves? Are there trolls that are also in the fact? I don't know. I took it to be like he mistook an elf for a troll, but maybe like maybe trolls exist. One thing I, I, I forgot to mention at the top of this was another huge difference from the first and second one is the character of Comet. So, mm. um, Comet, the, the reindeer in training, right? Uh, no, that's Chet. Uh, Chet, that's yeah, right. Yeah, Comet um, is one of Santa's reindeer. He was in um, Santa Claus One as essentially he Comet was the original one to kind of like push Santa along. And it was I don't know whether it was just a really good animal actor or really good animatronics or a bit of both. I think honestly, Comet's think, the one that sounds like a tauntaun, right? Yeah, and that's the thing. Okay. And the in the first one, he has very low like rumbles like this. So like he's like, um, what? I'm supposed, so I'm supposed to jump in the sleigh and. It was, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, and it like nods his head like that. But it's also, but it's, it's, it's really well done and kind of believable. And then he goes, but then he says like, but I can't do this. He goes, <laughs> but they keep it really, really simple. In between one or two, I think comic undergoes a massive head injury because then he started talking like, <laughs> and he has the craziest bug eyes. I have no idea what happened to comet between one and two. He uh, got he got addicted to chocolate. That that definitely happened. <laughs> so I was I was confusing with Chet Chet voiced yep. by Kath Susie, which I, know I had to look this up because I was like this 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 reindeer sounds like Phil and Lil from Rugrats, and it's because that it's Phil and Lil from Rugrats. It's Kath Susie. Ex- oh, that explains everything. Because I like I, I, I should have always I should look this up because you know each time I listen like I know that voice I, I recognize mm-hmm. that that sound. And, and is she does she do other stuff as well? Is it just Phil and Lil's? What her oh she's got. Is? hundreds of credits if you if you look on our imdb page it it actually took me a long time i had to like control f 
uh, to <laughs> find Rugrats yeah. on the IMDb page because I tried just scrolling through and I missed it because she has so many. She is very prolific voice actor and a very very good uh, voice actor. But th- I'd say that's the biggest thing she's known for. I think is is Phil and Will. Oh oh, uh, James, are you familiar with the movie or have you seen the movie Bicentennial Man? I have a very long time ago. You did that recently, didn't you? Yeah, actually, yeah. it's yeah a very recent episode. Uh, you can go back and check that out, listeners. Mm-hmm. In that movie, a robot learns humor. And then mm-hmm. in the Santa Claus 2, Toy Santa tells uh, <laughs> tells one of the elves, knock, knock. <laughs> aren't you? Mm-hmm. Aren't you who? Aren't you supposed to get back to work? But here's what pissed me off about the scene is he fucks up the joke. Like, it's orange. We learned that from mm-hmm. when we were children. Uh, yeah. Like maybe maybe that was part of the joke. Maybe I'm just looking looking into it too too deeply. Like kept like the joke is orange Robo Santa. You fucking um, when he's walking around the factory terrorizing everybody and yeah. harassing all the workers, he says uh, just in an off uh, throwaway line that I think I really want. I think you'll have a lot to say about this. Sometimes being a despot is tough business. So he knows that he's a yeah. he's a unreasonable dictator. He's Ooh. aware of it. He's proud of it. But also, where did he learn the term despot? Like, is, <laughs> like, is there is, is there some, like, really dark literature somewhere? Like, that's one thing I always wonder about Santa Claus movies. And do they know, like, they must know about the horrors of the world. But, like, do they know about World War II? Do they mm. know about some of the great atroc- atrocities committed by man? Did Robo Santa come upon that information and some of that connected to deep with him? Because he he does know the term despot. Mm-hmm. They must be able to, because don't they use snow globes to like peek into different parts of the world? Like, isn't that sort of their their? Maybe I thought that was like a more of a like a like a beeper. Because okay, because in, in the first one, it's um when, whenever Charlie shakes the globe, that's when you know, that's when Santa will know to come find him. Which again makes me wonder, like. I kind of wish that was brought up again. And maybe it's a bit of a dark line, but there's a bit where they're looking at the snow globes. Like, oh, I remember when Bernard first gave that to you. Mm. I, the the writer, my writer brain started going because I kept thinking I really wanted Scott to say, "You don't shake it as much as you used to." Mm. Like I would have mm-hmm. loved to see. Like that's that's a thing which, yeah, as much been, yeah. As much as I love, and, and I'm glad we get to talk about this movie because of evil robot Santa subplot, <laughs> what made the first one so great is just how grounded it was. It was essentially a family drama with some magic sprinkled in. And the only two real big magic scenes were both Christmas scenes. The one at the beginning, the one at the end. And when you get to go... When the sleigh doesn't movie. work and the whole town has to believe. Oh, that was Elf. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Jeez, do you think all Christmas movies are the same? Christmas movie racist. But no, so at, at the end of Santa Claus 2, that's when they arrest Santa Claus because they rightfully believe, no, this is a crazy man who thinks he's Santa Claus who's kidnapped a kid. And they have to bring in the uh, ELFS, which is like a elf SWAT team. And that was just like, it was just neat. Those are the Mandalorian elves, right? With the jetpacks. Exactly, packs. exactly. And so they come flying in to save the day and pick up Charlie. And, and even though that was perhaps the most outlandish plot device in Santa Claus, they kind of earn it because they spend so much of the time being being on the ground. It's like, okay, no, we've established the family drama. Let's get a little nutty here. So let's soup up the sleigh. And also, which I love, what I love is that in at the end when... um. He's getting ready for Christmas, and he keeps saying, "All right, so this this will be repaired in case uh, you you're, you get set on fire in a fireplace." 
this will help us track you. And he keeps saying, like, but what if I fall off a roof? Mm-hmm. Like, like someone died last year. I could die this year. And, and also like I would cease to exist. I, like he just disappeared into thin air. And they, everybody likes this Santa. Um, one of the, yeah. somebody on the league of extraordinary and imaginary beings <laughs> says something about like kids are 86% happier or something like, which is an insane profit margin. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, that's yeah. why I really want to see the prequel. Like how, who was this previous Santa? Cause this guy was, was not doing his it. His job or was, or were people just really that cynical? Were, like mind you, this was the nineties. So Gen X was in full swing. There probably were a lot of cynical kids out there. Just, you know, fuck, I don't give a shit. Fucking Christmas. Whereas Damn. in like, like in, in, in like 2002, that's when like teeny bop turned up a little bit. Maybe yeah. the cynicism is not quite as, prevalent in in the youth of that day at least not to my mm-hmm. recollection maybe maybe scott calvin had something to do with that maybe just kept kids a little maybe all right 1994 kurt cobain dies nirvana's over but then mm. boy bands come back teen bop all at the same time scott gal scott calvin takes over as santa claus coincidence i don't think so i think a lot of is santa just make scott calvin just made all the kids happier Music got happier. Kids were 86% happier. That's my projection. Again, I want to see the graph. I want to see... I want to see the Santa Claus prequel to find out who the, who the Santa was before he died. I think you're right. I think we're missing do that. You, do you think there's a chance that that previous Santa was some sort of automaton? And that's why nobody's even sad about him dying. There's no family that misses yeah. him. There's no kid with a snow globe that, you know? And also, like, that's the thing. When, when In the first one, when Scott gets to the North Pole... Everyone just kind of accepts him, and no one seems surprised. No one's sad. They're just like, "Oh, you're the new guy. All right, yeah, just yeah. come here. Yeah, all right, get started." No one had any affection for the old guy. No, no one's like, like, no one like, sheds a tear. And that's great. Like, like, not to get too dark, but in theory, that is the equivalent of like JFK dying in their world. Like a leader has died, and this new guy took over. This was a huge upset in the system, and effectively for nine like 10 months of the year there is no santa claus because it's scott calvin mm-hmm. getting like so what are the elves doing in the meantime is bernard just having to pull everyone's weight trying to get people in shape oh, i never thought of that i never thought of like yeah how, how no one no well, one misses old santa don't worry about getting too dark because this movie this g-rated movie is not worried about getting too dark no so. no 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 no, no. <laughs> when uh, scott calvin does show back up at the north pole to confront toy santa he is, he doesn't want to give up his operation. And he says, I'm a better, stronger version of what you used to be yep. with a flawless complexion, I might add, <laughs> <laughs> which he's not wrong about, but man, is it no. creepy. Like everything about the flawless porcelain, or I guess plastic yep. is nudge soldiers apparently are made of porcelain, apparently, but go down with yeah, a love tap. The- They're the worst army in the history of armies. I wrote down um, the, the, these the elves try to take these soldiers out with snowballs, and I would have been yeah. very disappointed if that worked. But what does work is they just start tackling, kicking them. They they spray them with silly string. But the the most effective thing is some of them just take out their like rivet guns and their toy tools and just dismantle them, which yep. they should have been doing in the first. That should have been idea number one. Yep. Plan A is <laughs> these You're are toys. elves. You do this Let's for a living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And they and I, we do see a scene of them dismantling a toy earlier because there's that one um, cowboy one with the with the hat, right, yeah. and it's not balancing properly, so they have to take the hat off. So they they yeah once they once they start using those tools, um, Judy almost gets gets who knows what it was going to do to her, but almost gets grabbed by one of the yeah. porcelain soldiers. And she does jack uh, shit. Jesus, Judy, defend yourself or at least run. Like she does that. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> like, just, just, he he moves at like two miles an hour. You can get away from him. And apparently, she might have been paralyzed by fear. Maybe, maybe she's now. This is the, this is the first like negative thing that's ever happened to her. So I respect mm. that. But one yeah, thing these, that I sorry, go ahead. Uh, these elves don't really have a lot of conflict in their life. They don't, they don't have. They don't need to be able to fight. No. Like, again, yeah. again, if if one Santa dies, another takes over. Fine, life goes on. And this is the first time that happened where things really didn't go right. Um, but one thing I did find out is apparently the suits for the toy soldier costumes were 40 pounds. Oh, goodness. And so the actors were apparently in those, like the actors who played those toy soldiers were probably miserable because they were maneuvering these 40 pound. Uh, I mentioned earlier, when I was at F.A. Schwartz, I was a toy soldier. What was that like? It was a fun gig. Like it was being a toy soldier was really fun because also when I was allowed to put my own spin on it because... Initially, I got some push back at times, just because I'm not like I'm a happy guy. I'm just not very sunny, and they want they want me to be very like zippy, like hey, how you doing? Woo! And I tried to flip a little bit, and that's just like, exhausting. I couldn't keep it up. It also just wasn't me. But if I was just like warm and friendly, and able to add in my own little twist of slyness, like I was able to have a lot of fun and have some really amazing interactions and meet some cool people. But nice. those costumes were fucking heavy, especially in winter because you had to stand outside in a New York winter. So you'd wear like literally like these, it's, it's about 20 pounds, these things, and you'd be sweating. Also, like I, like the most attention I've ever gotten from the opposite sex in my entire life. I do not understand it. I did not get it. But mm. when I was a toy soldier, I had, I wasn't necessarily for this, but I had so many tushy grabs, so many, so many like flirtatious moms and teenage girls were just like, ah, it, was, it was a very awkward situation. And I did not understand fun, what it was about the toy soldier. I, I, but, and, and I talked to all the other guys who were toy soldiers, like, so you guys noticing like a lot more women hitting you when you're a toy soldier? And they're like, yeah, I don't get it. Like when I go out and I put effort into how I look, but here you just put on a toy soldier and I, I never understood it. it was, I thought it was always very strange to me. Interesting. <laughs> but yeah, but then, so when I, when I spent it, they were like 40 pounds. Like, yep, I, that, that sucks. I relate to that. Real quick, are you, do you watch The Mandalorian? Are you a fan of I The Mandalorian? Love, I do it up, like, all right. Are you caught up with the Mandalorian? I am caught up. And I hope right. our listeners are too. Because I, I, I want to announce here and now spoilers for the Mandalorian. I'll announce it at the beginning. But if we're going to spoil that show, I want to spoil it when we do it. So spoilers right. for the Mandalorian. Go ahead. Yeah, And right now we're up, we're up to season two, episode six. So. Yeah. Hey, kids. It's the Honey Leave It show. We just want to say thank you. We just passed the 3,000 download mark which is a big deal for a new podcast and so we're just really really grateful if you've never heard of the honey leave it show it's a comedy podcast about sex so if you like laughing and you like sex you should come and listen to the show if you don't like to laugh and you don't like to have sex please don't bother you won't enjoy it at all uh, the honey leave it show has new episodes every friday on stitcher soundcloud spotify and apple of course Looking forward to seeing y'all there. Bye.
like this, this might be complete, this is a complete diversion, but I need someone to talk about this. In first episode, when t- with Timothy Oliphant, he's wearing the Boba Fett armor. And all I could think about the entire time is, do Sarlax shit. Interesting. Because that's because in, in Return of the Jedi, Boba Fett, who is really the most overrated character in the Star Wars universe, he just looks super cool, fires one shot, is accidentally bumped into a Sarlacc pit, and dies. At least that's what we thought for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden the armor shows up and you think like, wait, how did that come out? relatively unscathed and then you see what well, well, i i really thought it was like one of the clones because it's played by a uh, tamara tomorrow um, something yeah, um and so when, when he showed it's like oh so are they gonna bring like the clones into this so is that gonna be like one of the clone soldiers and turns out no that's actually boba fett mm-hmm. um he played Django fett in attack of the clones boba fett's dad and all and no one seems to be asking this question so and i don't really watch clone wars or rebels so maybe i'm missing something how did Boba Fett escape the Sarlacc pit? Do we know that yet? Is that going to be disclosed or are we supposed to just accept he found his way out? Because there you're supposed to be like, be slowly digested over a period of 3000 years. Mm-hmm. I, how many years has passed in between return of the Jedi, and the Mandalorian? Was it like 10 years or somewhere that something like that? At least 10. Right. So how did, how did Boba Fett get out? Do we know this? Is this in like Rebels or is this in the novels and I or the comics and I just haven't read it? There are two books about it. Both have been decanonized though. Okay. So there there is like a a theory about it written by two different Star Wars novel writers that wrote fictional sequels and everything in like Boba Fett centered books. So there is theories to how he survived it, but I'm, I'm, I don't know how the show is going to explain it, but I'm, I'm looking forward to Dave Filoni and John Favreau's explanation. Or is it going to be like a Joker, how I got these scars thing where we just have like little yeah. hints to how, and we never find out, which I'm that. Like, yeah. He had, that might such, be preferable to have it remain something badass. in the mystery. He had such um, a the, badass return. Sorry. Like, the, I'm, I'm, no, I'm it's okay. Yeah. It, it's such a great show. It's easy yeah. to get off on a tangent. A the reason season. I brought it up, yeah is because I have a question. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talk about like, what is Yoda? We just, Yoda doesn't have a species. Mm-hmm. We, we don't know the name of Yoda species. So as much as we know about Star Wars and all the different aliens, all of them have a name and a planet that they're from and a language and a culture. We don't know Yoda's species name. Mm-hmm. So when this baby, the child was introduced in the mm-hmm. show, everyone just called him baby Yoda because he's yeah. the same species and we don't know what else to call him. Yeah. Now we know his name. It's, it's Grogu. So my question is, is Grogu and Yoda and Yaddle, for that matter, the third of the species that we see, are they elves? Here's my evidence. They live for centuries and they can do magic. That's it. I don't have anything. Uh, any that's pretty good. <laughs> so in a galaxy far, far away in the Star Wars universe, are Yoda species elves? I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility. I think you're onto something there. Mm. I, okay. I, I I do think that's possible. And always and always bothered me when people call him Baby Yoda because no Yoda's dead. He's gone at this point. It was like, but no, yeah. Yoda's a baby. So that that member, I unfairly jumped on people. I was like, no, he's the child. He's not Baby yeah. Yoda. <laughs> Give Yoda some respect. Ba- Sorry for the Mandalorian tangent, but God, they they take down they take down the soldiers. They take down Toy Santa. They dogpile him. They put him back through the pantograph. They set it to reduce rather than duplicate or enlarge. And the last time that we see Toy Santa. He is in a in a row of it's in the post credits. So I'm just jumping jumping to that so we can wrap right. up the discussion of the robot in the movie. But and we'll and we'll go back because there's definitely some stuff about Carol that we should probably probably go into. Oh, yeah. um, but the very last time that we see Toy Santa, 
is when he's in a row of toy Santas outside of a department store and he is doing a different dance than the rest of them and like trying to get them to do a different dance along with him. So he still seems to have traces of the, his same personality. Yeah. But he's stuck in this smaller, he's like trapped now in this smaller body. So is this cruel that they let him keep his sentience, but made him back into one of these like factory line toys that not only is it cruel, but it's reckless mm-hmm. because he, he holds a sentient, his sentience. He has all his memories. He's able to talk and communicate. What's yeah. to stop someone from buying that Santa and going, Hey, have I got a story to tell you? And just, I mean, he's ha- hassling people walking by. He's like, Hey, yeah. you ever seen a toy do this? Like, <laughs> I'm not buying that toy. <laughs> or, no, I would like, like, I would, like, I would give me like this toy's kind of fucked up. And then, then when you buy that toy, that toy tells you the secrets that they were trying to protect and nearly shot down an enemy plane to, to protect. And they just like mm-hmm. put this evil despot that they've struck, they've shrunk down into stores in what could be a very little shop of horror scenario where mm-hmm. they were, were are, if you give evil dictator Santa to the wrong child, and that Santa fills that child with his knowledge and his worldview. Yep. He's, he's like a evil. Chucky situation. It is. It is. He's like, he's like evil robo Santa Chucky. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and I could see him like slowly manipulate because he knows he's trapped in this limited body, slowly manipulating the, the kid that owns him to, to his will. And, and he knows how to, because he has experience as a despot, as a dictator. Yeah. Yeah, it's but but uh, this this character does not come back in in Santa Claus Three: The Escape Clause, does he? I don't I, think he does. I don't I have any so. memory of seeing I, him again. Uh, yeah, no, like I think I think except for that in Santa Claus Three. Again, I really do my best not to like crap on movies necessarily, just because I understand that how hard it is to make a movie. I understand sure. all the work and effort. And also, a lot of people these they make I may want to work with with someday, and I, and rightfully so. They clearly know what it takes to get stuff done and have the work ethic to try and mm-hmm. do something right. But anytime I feel like you make a movie and your plot line is, and especially if you're in the third or the fourth of the series, and your and your big plot is, what if we go back in time and make the main character not the main character? Like anytime you go, it's a wonderful life route. You need to stop. Because clearly mm-hmm. the series is over. Like there are there are many series we can point to that. We're just like like as soon as I find out that's a plot line of movie, like, well, what if they go back in time and Luke never became a Jedi? It's like, no, I, I don't want to watch that movie. I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't need to see that. So they do that. Martin Short comes in as Jack Frost. Yeah. And he so he becomes Santa Claus, which again really counteracts like so like the first Santa Claus didn't need a, a, a villain necessarily. The, the first Santa Claus, the antagonist was the world not believing in Santa. It was Scott not Child believing in himself. Services. Child protective services. <laughs> That's what, but in the second one, they're like, in the second one, time is really the antagonist as well as just extraordinarily yep. outdated and sexist laws and, and, and rules of nature. But and then they decide like, no, we need to add in, we need to up the ending to have actual man versus man physical villains, which I don't think the series really needs. And Martin Short does a great job as Jack Frost, but I, the only thing I remember thinking, like I, this movie, that movie came out and I was like 17 or maybe 18. I remember I was watching, watching it one Christmas. We got the DVD and this was also at six. Yeah. So I must've been 17. And this was in a particularly tumultuous year of my life. This is when 
it was right before we were about to move. My parents were getting divorced. So I was already in a pretty, pretty low place. And mm. there's a line where Charlie's half sister, who really has no relationship to Scott or Santa, but they have a great relationship, which I thought was super cool and kind of, kind of Lucy. Lucy, thank you. There's a bit yeah, where she calls him Uncle Calvin. Uncle yeah. Scott. And I thought that, like, thought, like, that's kind of a crazy relationship. It also kind of works. It doesn't feel weird. Like it, it's weird if you like if you explain like, oh, he's not really uncle. He's the ex-husband. We all really get along, and he's also Santa Claus. She goes up and hugs Jack Frost, effectively melting him away, mm-hmm. and she says the line. I'm going to paraphrase this. She says the line. Everyone needs a warm hug. At which point I just said, fuck this movie. <laughs> uh, I just looked this up because I was really curious about it. Lucy, Lucy Miller is Neil and Laura's daughter. So right. they had so they had a daughter together after, well, obviously after the divorce. Right. And this says that Scott Calvin and Carol Newman. Oh, that Carol is yeah, they they, they use the term honorary niece. She's her mm-hmm. honorary niece. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of so weird. she is objectively Charlie's half sister. Well, right. we can. I, I think that's like the strongest relationship right. is her and Charlie. And that kid's friggin' adorable. She was great. She did a great job with that actress of like tone, perfectly toned the line of being cute but not cloying. No, they, yeah. they really the cast and director A plus. You, you found a good one, and I think she. I kept. I saw her in other stuff too. Was she in like? I think she was in one of the cheaper by the dozen movies. Like mm-hmm. I've seen her maybe in one, or maybe Marley and Me. I saw. Her, I remember seeing her in one other family movie. I don't think she's gone on to do anything since. She cheaper by the dozen two. Yeah, the uh, actress's name is Liliana Mumi. Okay. But yep, she was definitely in Cheaper by the Dozen. Oh, she was in both Cheaper by the Dozen. Oh, okay. Uh, so, Jim, let's talk. Let's talk some more about Carol because right. we kind of we kind of breeze past the the A plot of the movie. Yeah, because <laughs> this is robots versus dinosaurs, and I like talking about <laughs> robots primarily. But mm-hmm. we definitely should talk about the the main plot of the movie, the Mrs. Claus, Carol Claus. Mm-hmm. Oh, there is technically one other robot, the Rock'em Sock'em robots, in the Secret right. Santa scene. When uh, Scott mm. is is trying to liven up the holiday, the faculty holiday party, mm. and he breaks out all these antique, awesome antique toys that everybody starts playing with. I had a question for you about this. I did write this down. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you this question. So let's say you and I were at that work party. Let's say it's an hour bar party, which for some reason is really dead and no one's drinking and everyone's just kind of bleh. And mm. Santa Claus showed up and said, well, if you look under this tree, you'll see this your favorite toy from a child as as a child what was your favorite christmas gift that you got as a kid do you remember oh that's such a good question that's such a good question i think it was when my brother and sister and i got the year it came out we got a combined gift like i remember it in the box had um our my brother is ben my sister is elizabeth and i'm lou so on the box it said to b e l from mm-hmm. santa and inside was a super nintendo and mario kart Get out. Yeah. Oh, that's a great gift. Yeah. So it was for all three of us, but that is probably my favorite Christmas gift that I've ever gotten. Cause that was, that was just our lives from that point for like at least a year, like just the super Nintendo. And like, it was the yeah. thing that, that, that as siblings, like we would do together the most. Oh, that's sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. I was, I was trying What's to yours? Of, I was trying to think of that too. Cause I was trying to think, well, if I'm going to ask this question, I need to answer it. And I don't necessarily remember opening a particular toy under the tree. I remember I loved my rollerblades. 
I remember, remember getting my first hockey stick and setting up the net in the back in, in the front yard and, and losing dozens of orange balls in the bush. Never got any better, but it was fun. That was definitely one I remember. Yeah, probably yeah, probably either my rollerblades or my hockey stick as a kid. Nice. As an adult, I got the James Bond fit box set of Blu-rays, and that 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 might be one of my favorite gifts, along with mm. a very long list of amazing things. My wife is. I remember a couple of years ago, me and my wife like for at least when we were dating, we we never really get each other like particularly huge gifts, just because we have to. Her birthday is actually this, this Saturday. She had um, she has a December birthday. And we also have a bunch of people to buy uh, gifts for. So we generally give, give each other like a nice, thought, thoughtful gift, but never a terribly expensive gift. And I opened up my present under the tree and it was Red Dead Redemption 2. Yes. And I lost my mind because like a new, like a new, like a, I, I wanted it so badly and I couldn't afford it because I, I was just at a point in my life where I just couldn't afford a $70 video game. And she very selflessly got that for me, despite the fact that it's not something we would do, do together. I was like, as soon as I opened it, it's like, you're never seeing me again. And sure enough, <laughs> for, for six months, I was lost in the world of Red Dead 2. But oh, that was another wonderful gift I got just because not, not just because it's a, a fucking awesome game, but just because of the thought and just the, the intention behind yeah. it. That's always, I feel like that's always what makes a gift even better and and that that's one thing i'm most surprised that i don't think santa claus ever truly addresses is that what makes a gift wonderful isn't necessarily the gift it's the intention behind the gift mm. you know some of the best gifts i've received were little things or things that were meticulously thought out or just really meant a lot like i remember several years ago i was trying to get into the world of voice acting and I had an opportunity to work with a really top voiceover coach who had a lot of industry connections, but his class, which was sporadic, like he was basically whenever he had time, he had these classes. I couldn't afford it. It was like, oh, between one and 2000 for the package. Couldn't do it. Um, and also at the right, right, I was right at the point where I was being able to afford it. I lost my job. That was, that was when I was working at F.A. Schwartz and F.A. Schwartz at that time had closed its doors for good. So I had to put that away. And when I went into the tree for that Christmas, when, when I went home, opened up, opened up the box. It was like, I think it was like a big box, which when you wrapped it, it became a little box. And inside was a paper is from my mom saying that she, without me knowing, had gone and paid for those voice classes and wow. gone to, and that's, I think, the only time I ever broke down crying opening a gift. Because I was just at the that's end of a really terrible, cool. terrible year. So, and then, but that's what makes it wasn't so much that it was that there's expensive classes. It was the thought. I'm really surprised that these movies never address that fact of gift giving. It's always about like, oh, it's this thing I really like. Not oh my god, is this thing this yeah, person? The weenie whistle that I always wanted. <laughs> yeah, and that's what made a three year old give up believing in Santa Claus. Like that's the thing when they mm-hmm. give, like I always thought like. Yeah, like I always think about the gifts I didn't get from Santa that I asked for, which always kind of made me a bit more suspect. The idea of just, oh, I got all these amazing things, but I didn't get that one thing I wanted. So Santa mustn't be real. It's that thing, like, you know, they say like it's the thought that counts. And what I think that means is like it when you nail it, when you get a gift exactly right, what you're saying to that person with the present is, I know you this well. I know you so well that I know from just paying attention to you that this is what you really want. And that's that's like a, such a beautiful way to connect with somebody, I think. You know, they talk about like gift, uh, or what, what is it, um, your love language? What is your love language? Yeah. And mine mine is definitely gifts. I'm def- I like to I like to give gifts. I like to think about what I'm going to get somebody and, and that kind definitely. of thing. Definitely. That's one thing that's always gotten so much harder 
for for me since we've since I met my wife is that I went all out on the first year because she was my first real relationship. I have like little things here and there, but she was my first study. Mm-hmm. So, I, so, and because she was my first relationship, I, w- I always kind of had on my head, this might end at any minute. So I should take advantage of everything I got. So when we got to our first Christmas together, I was like, I'm going to give her the best Christmas gift ever because mm-hmm. we might not be together next year, Because which thankfully ended up being a foolish, paranoid notion. So my wife, when she was a kid, collected Archie comics, which unfortunately got swept away in Hurricane Katrina. She's from New Orleans. So she lost her entire Archie collection. So that and Chris, this also might be the favorite gift, my favorite gift I've ever given. I spent about two months on eBay tracking down as many Archie comics as I could. And I gave her an entire box of Archie comics to give her a comic collection back. And that's the best I've ever felt maybe giving any gift of my life. The downside is every year I have to try and live up to that gift. So I'm just like, <laughs> like, all right, I, I, I got, I got, I got some pretty good ones this year. I'm, I'm happy, but just, but I, I did. I set the bar way too high. I'm just like, fuck, what am I gonna do now? I nice. Well, don't reveal what any of those are because this, this episode is gonna Ooh. come out the week before Christmas. So you don't want her to listen and and have so that. So maybe I didn't get her, her gifts yet. She doesn't know. <laughs> So yeah, there's that scene with the Secret Santa. We see Juliet from Lost starting to Carol starting to fall in love with her. I guess they're they're starting to grow closer. I don't know. She brings her coffee. He knows about a car, and she's really impressed about him knowing about a car. That is um, one thing. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. Oh no, go go. Please dig into that. Okay. So <laughs> I thought that was really thin, but if you have something to say, no. About the, it, all right. So here's, here's the thing. Prior to that, the one thing we forgot to mention is mm-hmm. Bernard gives him like a magic meter. To keep track oh, the watch. Of, right, the watch. So basically to keep track of the amount of magic he has left, because if he uses too much, he can't get back to the North Pole. Mm-hmm. So the first time he the first time he uses some magic is he's with Carol. Charlie got into trouble, so he's doing some community service to make up for it. And a little girl instinctively realizes that Scott is Santa, goes up to him and says, um, what she wants for Christmas, and he uses some of that magic to just talk to her and impress her. And he looks at and it's a, it's on it's one to ten. So he looks at his watch, and as soon as he does a thing with Pamela, it cranks down to nine mm-hmm. and just wistfully says, you cost me, Pamela. Now, <laughs> next scene, he goes to um, ask her out on a date. He asks her out for noodles and pie, <laughs> which I think is a great day. When, like, when, when are we doing like, noodles and pie? Yeah. Like, I, I like both these things. Why, why have I never thought to go out for noodles and pie? Were we not in the, in the end times, I would say, fuck, let's go get some noodles and pie. So after that, and then he, she said, he's, he's like, oh, can I give you a lift? He's like, oh, yeah, may as well come. Well, I got my uh, ride out front, and it's a horse-drawn carriage. Mm-hmm. So they're in the horse-drawn carriage with Coco, and then it starts snowing their own private little flurry as they're going down. Yeah. Dude, just if, if if just knowing a little girl's name cost you one, how much is this costing you right now? And then so and he looks and it always goes from like nine to like six. It's like to conserve, conserve all this. Then he gives all the faculty their favorite gifts from their child, including the gift that Carol mentioned in the subway. Like, oh, I just always I love my baby doll, it's my favorite toy. And he gets to the baby doll, and very rightfully, she panics. Like that's the most realistic reaction in the entire movie. She's yes. like, "How did? How did you? How did you? Did you can what? How did?" But he managed to get yeah, it. Are back. you Jeff Bezos? Is, exactly. is my Alexa spying exactly. on me? <laughs> and how did you know this? Did you just like, she's like, "Did you talk to someone? Did you tell people?" Like, and she really does have the most realistic reaction of anyone in this movie. And then they start to kiss, and as they're starting to kiss, he makes mistletoe appear above them. He's like, 
dude, you were leaning in already. She was mm-hmm. leaning in. You didn't need to use up that magic. Like, just control yourself. It's like, oh, <laughs> you already don't made the sale. Money. Stop selling. Exactly. You know those friends you have who do always say they don't have any money, but then they always like, like, hey, I got this new big screen TV. Like, you don't have any money. Stop it. Mm-hmm. That's what I felt watching Santa use up all this magic. By the end of the movie, I can't remember what the final straw is. He can't get back to the North Pole, and that's why they have to bring in the Tooth Fairy. I went Tooth way. <laughs> sorry, no, I, I just sorry, I didn't mean to blow past. That. I was just like, fuck, the, like I can't. We forgot we didn't talk about that insane magic meter. Oh no, it's all good. We're uh, we're almost at. I guess we're at the end again because because right. um, <laughs> yeah. uh, two movies Carol, slept into one. We have to talk about both movies, right? So when when Scott Calvin does propose to Carol, and he said he tells her that he loves her, and she and again she's she's pretty grounded and realistic up to a point. And she says, you love me. This is all happening so fast. And I was like clapping my hands at that point because I'm like, thank you. Finally, (laughs) somebody in the movie is calling out the fact that this is insanely, this relationship is on insane fast forward, but it doesn't take much to talk her, talk her into it. The one condition that she really makes is she asks, because she, she, like we said, she has a career. She has, a, like, whether she likes, whether she, I, I don't know, she likes her job, whether she likes the people she works with or gets, seems to have, whether it seems to be a fountain of joy for her, she has a sense of purpose from her job. I yeah. think that's an objective statement we can make. So, one of her conditions before she agrees to marry Santa Claus is, is there a school here? Scott looks at Bernard for the answer. Bernard kind of sh- like nods in the way that you nod when you're lying to somebody. And like, for one thing, does Scott not know whether or not there's a school? He spends a lot of time here. And, and B, is this a lie? Is there actually a school? The Santa Claus 3, I think, answers this question. I think she does run a school in that one, but it's man, everything about this is it's built on a lie and it's a fast forward thing. And then when she does say yes, it's like, thanks for marrying me. Uh, now I got to go. Now just hang out with these this village of <laughs> magical strangers you met eight minutes ago while I leave all night and then come back. And then we'll After go on fighting vacation a when war. I come back before but, you even have a chance to settle in here and get used yeah. to things. We're going to go on vacation right away. I'm so like, glad you brought up the school because one thing I wrote down is like, all right, so she, Carol is like maybe ballpark 35 years old. Okay. These yeah. elves are 900 years old. What could a 35 year old teach a 900 year old? Like that's the equivalent of you and I being taught by a sperm. Like, like that's, karate. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Cause uh, I can only imagine these elves like, like, Oh, can you believe this shit? Like, and two plus two is four. I can't believe Santa's making yep. us do this. These and we know that they have relationships, right? You mentioned uh, Judy yep. is seeing somebody rapping. in in rapping. So they 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 know about relationships. Like, it's not like they need to look. It's yeah, it is weird seeing adult actors interacting with child actors, but the actual ages are way reversed. The, yeah. the child actors are playing characters that are centuries old compared yeah. to these mortals. So. <laughs> Yeah, and that's one thing I remember when I noticed um, there's one elf that goes up. And again, these elves are hundreds of hundreds of year old, years old. And she, and the, but it's a very obvious child goes with like, Santa, I made you cookies. And it's clearly a four-year-old, which made me think back to the Mandalorian. Because as mm-hmm. we know, Grogu in um, human years is 57 years old, which is what led to the confusion in the first episode. So mm-hmm. are we essentially seeing... A like a one hundred year old elf who mm. is by elf standards a child. Hmm. Like how many how many human years yeah. is one elf year, yeah. or, or vice versa? Well, 
I don't, unless they're going to make a Santa Claus 4, I don't know if we're going to get the answer to that. They're rebooting everything nowadays that Disney Plus is just like hawking it out. I would not yeah. be surprised if we, if we see Santa Claus Redux, Santa Claus 4. I we think did we get might. a Toy Story 4 this year or last year. So, and that was, and that was a fan, in my opinion, a fantastic sequel. Tim he Allen was, came, you know, yeah. also I, playing an iconic character. He's had a good career. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's very enviable yeah. career. And, and those are like th- this Scott Calvin and, and Buzz Lightyear again, like I think mm-hmm. are two characters. Nobody could do what Tim Allen does with those characters. It's, 100%. It's, especially, it's perfect. especially Buzz Lightyear. Apparently the original choice for um, the Santa Claus was Bill Murray. He was okay. written. He was written for Bill Murray, which which could work, but Bill Murray read the script. And was like, eh, eh, not for me. I think they had signed on Chevy Chase mm-hmm. to do Santa Claus, which could have worked, but then I think Chevy Chase would had a contractual obligation, so he had to drop out. So then that's when they, I guess, maybe that's when they bring in Tim Allen. I don't know whether it's Tim Allen that got John Pasquin the job or John Pasquin that got Tim Allen the job because this was Tim Allen's first feature film. Like he was already, oh. it was he was he was already like on uh, Home Improvement. That was a huge hit. And when the Santa Claus one came out on opening weekend, it was number one at the box office. And for one week, Tim Allen had the number one movie at the box office, the number one show on TV, Home Improvement, and the number one book in the, on the New York Times bestseller list, uh, Don't Stand Too Close to a Naked Man. So for that one week, he was the most powerful man in entertainment. Wow. Yeah. Tim Allen. Just Tim Allen. Owning in Hollywood for the mid, of the mid-90s. Yeah. And he's had not one but two massively successful sitcoms. Yeah. Crazy, and I really do like you, Toy Story Four as well. I I agree with you. I was surprised um, how much you liked that one. Toys, I'm I'm waiting for the day that somebody starts bringing Toy Story movies onto the podcast because both robots and dinosaurs appear in those films, That's and true. I have lots to say about the Toy Story series. Oh, <laughs> so one day talk. we will cover oh. those. Well, maybe I can get maybe you'll be a three peat guest. Um, Look at me becoming like the Alec Baldwin of Robots versus Dinosaurs. Loving it. Hey, hey. Do you do you have any final thoughts about the Santa Claus two before we move on to our bonus questions? Oh, right. Um, there was a line in the Santa Claus one which was cut from which I remember on the tape I had as a kid, but it was cut. They cut from subsequent releases. Laura says, "Or right, here's here's the number to call if you need me." And it says, and, and Scott says, "One eight hundred spank me." I know that number. And they had to cut that from home other home video and TV releases because kids were actually calling one eight hundred spank me which was a real phone sex line and ringing up hundreds of dollars on their parents' phone bills until the parents would reach out. like, what are you doing? Our kids have calling this number and we've spent, we have to spend like a thousand dollars on this phone bill. So, so fun, fun fact. Apparently Disney bought that phone number and decommissioned it to put an end to that. There's a line. I didn't look this up, but there's a bit when they're, when they're going through the credits and it says music by George Clinton. Like, wait, what? Hmm. Like, like, is it a different George Clinton or is it like P-Funk George Clinton? Because it's a very P-funk. like standard musical score. It's not particularly funky. So I assume it's like a different George Clinton who somehow got to keep his name. And that was just the first one was George Clinton or both both were I don't I don't George remember. I, I didn't I didn't notice who did the score George, in the first one. Oh, George no. S. Clinton. Uh, I just yeah. yeah, I just clicked on George S. Clinton's IMDB page. I can mm-hmm. tell you for sure this is not <laughs> P Funk George Clinton. That's <laughs> yeah, disappointing. But he was also the same composer for the Tooth Fairy later on in 2010. I, I like that they're they're keeping that continuity for music. Yeah. Robo Santa equals Hell 9000, which he totally is. Mm. I don't have a mom. We talk about that. Uh, He said he he compared him to Hell 9000. Yeah, like I kept thinking of like like 
he's essentially Hellion Thousand. He's been brought on to run the ship, but now yep. he's like short circuited and everything's like, yeah, yeah. So this is a very 2001. Ooh, there's one thing I, I forgot to mention. So there's a bit during the elf football scene where Sant- Robo Santa does the Morpheus come here move. And I, yeah, I kept thinking, like, that's when I noticed the creepy yeah. hands. Yes, exactly. But what I could think of, like, don't you remember that time in, like, the early 2000s where every movie had to have at least one Matrix reference? Especially if it was an animated movie. Yeah, it had totally. to have somebody doing a backflip away from their opponent yeah. and then they extend their hand and do the little come here. Little, they had to do the come here. Yeah. They had to do, like, yeah, like things that move in slow motion. I, I, I think we should bring back great Matrix references. Hopefully with the Matrix 4, that'll happen. Mm. I'm um, excited but, about Matrix 4. Ooh, oh, I'm, I'm hopeful. I love that the Wachowskis are making movies again. I also like the Matrix sequels. A lot of people like mm-hmm. poop on them a bunch. They're lesser than the first Matrix, certainly, because the Matrix is one of the best science fiction movies ever made. Yep. Of course, they're going to be lesser movies, but I still really enjoyed them. I'm, I'm totally on board for Matrix 4. If they greenlit this and thought, no, we got this, I, I want to see what they've got. I'm, I'm nervous, but very hopeful. Ah, if your date, this is going back to Carol, if your date said he was Santa... Would you be pissed or would you be frightened? Because she's just kind of the only two choices. I mean, what, what other choices are there going to be? Because like, like, because she's like, <laughs> I can't believe you're telling me this. Get out of my house. I feel like if you were on a date and, and the date said, um, "I'm Santa Claus. I live in the North Pole, and you need to marry me," you would very rarely go like, ah, and slowly back out. And so she. Like, which I thought was how she was going to react. Well, she was, she was going to be terrified. Farts I think it depends all... on the level of energy they're bringing to that reveal. Because if, if Molly true. Shannon, if Tracy is telling me that yeah. um, with the intensity of that character, I might yeah. be like, oh, you know what? I left my stove on. I got yeah. uh, <laughs> to real quick. I would totally relate. Like, like if, if my date said that they were Santa Claus, I would react the way that Scott Calvin reacts. So, uh, Jim, at the end of our Jurassic World episode, Jurassic mm-hmm. World Fallen Kingdom, I asked you, is this movie a plus one or minus one for dinosaurs? So same question for the Santa Claus 2. Is this movie a plus one? I'll, I've actually, I, I think I've added a category since the last time you've been on. Okay. It, it could be neutral. You give it a zero. Um, so is it a plus one, a zero, or a minus one for robots? Oh, minus one. Robots, okay. ne- robots nearly destroy Christmas and maybe the world. Like that's <laughs> this is not a pro robot movie. That's the first. Yeah. This is a historical first for this podcast because yeah. one, two historical first. That is the quickest anybody's ever answered the question, and this is the only time that I that that the host of Robots vs Dinosaurs yeah. is going to give robots a minus one i'm agreeing with you 100 yeah. percent. this is bad representation for robots on what this movie posits we should not have robots because yeah. robots will try and become fascist dictators give all the children of the world coal imprison and enslave elves yeah robot gestapo army like it's it is no this is not a pro robot movie in any shape or form that's right. And for those of you keeping score at home, it's kind of a good thing. The robots are, are drastically in the lead just because of the number of robot movies we've done so far. Yeah. So this being a minus one for them will we'll give dinosaurs a chance to catch up. I haven't um, had a chance to listen to it yet, but Taming the T- I, knew, I know you finally did Taming the T-Rex. I'm so happy about that. First off, mm-hmm. how amazing is Taming the T-Rex? incredible it's fantastic like yeah and i don't i don't know how much research uh i'm sure this brought up in the episode i haven't had a chance to listen to yet but one of my favorite bits like the movie the way the movie came about is that the director had access to a robot dinosaur and that was the plot he came up with that makes me so happy 
Because you only had it for like three days. Yeah. What was the like? How how did how did you score that? Considering that it has both a robot and a dinosaur, did you, what, did you consider it a dinosaur? Or did you consider it a robot? Like it was like, or should I just listen to the episode? You should listen to the episode. Okay. I think I came down on the side that it is a mech suit, uh, the same way cool. that like Krang the, from Teenage Mutant Ninja <laughs> Turtles is a brain that goes inside of a mech suit body yeah. and controls it from the middle. So I think it's a mech suit, like Krang. Uh, <laughs> all right, so Jim. Hmm. Two bonus questions. You've already heard them, but I'm going to ask them. Uh, this is a section of, of robots versus dinosaurs that we call what's your snack. So Jim, hmm. what's your snack? And I'm going to modify it for, since this is a holiday episode, hmm. what is your favorite holiday food? Ooh. Favorite kind of like cookie or pie or like, what's your favorite? What's the food you look forward to the most around this time of year? Without even thinking mince pies. Um, mince pies. Mince pies. I grew up in, so um, I'm, I'm born and raised in Canada. I'm from Vancouver, but my mom's from uh, Green Bay and my dad is from London. So we had, had a very like mixed up bringing in terms of cultural traditions. And uh, a lot of my, my dad brought a lot of English traditions over for Christmas, especially. So we had a very, we always had a very English Christmas growing up. So we had the crackers that you pull the pop and you wear the paper crowns and you read the, the, the corny jokes. He would make a Christmas pudding that you light on fire, which the la- when I, when I went to my wife's for Christmas, I decided to bring that with me. I found a, I went to an English home store. I got a Christmas pudding and brought it lit on fire and the kids called it fire cake. So they just said, nice. we have more fire cake. So that was very sweet. But my mom makes these little mince pies. I think in North America, they're called mince meat pies, even though there's actually no meat in it. And they're just the most wonderful. I am so sad. I'm not going to see my mom for Christmas for so many, so many reasons. One of them is definitely, like easily in my top five is not having her, having those mince pies. Mm. She, because I love those mince pies with all my heart. That sounds really good. I don't think I've ever mm. had a mince pie. Oh, my- dude. Rub up that shit. I, I like as soon as you say mince pie, all I think of is Sweeney Todd. Is that is that like a, um, is that an accurate uh, parallel? You're not wrong because like mince this is love its famous meat pies. Exactly, like mince. I, I can't even describe mince. It's it's like a black jelly with currants and raisins, and by all means, it should be disgusting. But it's this spicy, sweet jelly like, but also has like the nice like sugary like pie crust and it's never like you never have like a slice it's always like these little like little tins like that mm, and try that it is my favorite thing about every christmas aside from the families and the, and the presents it, it is by far mince pies hmm. mine's eggnog i'm just a, I'm, I'm a big fan of eggnog and i, I miss it I'm 11 months out of the year oh i'm so yeah. sorry <laughs> yeah. so around this time of year when supermarkets have eggnog i yeah. am my, my fridge always has eggnog in it for a couple weeks until they stop selling it jim final mm-hmm. bonus question if we were to recast the Santa Claus two with Whoopi Goldberg and Danny DeVito replacing any two characters, what's your recasting? I mean, Danny DeVito has to be an elf. There's there's no one way around it. And I was trying to think, like David Krumholtz, as mentioned, is perfectly cast and perfectly plays Bernard. Don't want to lose him. I don't want to lose Spencer Breslin. Either. I don't want like, to. I, either. My instincts say Curtis, but I mine don't too want to lose that kid. But I think it's one of those those things when you're casting, we're just like, oh, I love this guy, but Danny DeVito. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna like, be, there's I'm, no question in Santa mm-hmm. Claus three, DeVito is Jack Frost. No question. I'll <laughs> be great as Jack Frost. I know. I, I I I'm gonna be the asshole. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut Spencer Breslin with a promise. I'll put him in another role later on. Mm-hmm. I think I think Danny DeVito should totally be 
uh, Curtis. Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, that's so much harder. Yeah, May- I struggled I with say, this one. I want to say Carol, but here's the thing. Whoopi Goldberg is Carol wouldn't put up with any of this shit. This is okay. Yeah. Okay. The, the, Carol is my answer. However, different. the movie has to have a different ending. Whoopi has to be reasonable and and say, no, I'm not agreeing to all this. This is insane. Yeah. And the movie has to like swerve and find a different solution. So yeah. I would recast it that way only if they change the ending. I would say, yeah, I would definitely see either Carol or if she isn't available and wants and is open to a smaller cameo role. Maybe maybe Comet. Maybe maybe okay. Whoopi Goldberg is Comet. Like it's a bit beneath her, but I think it'd be one of those things like, hey, we got a day. Do you want to kind yeah. of play a reindeer? It'd be kind of fun. We'll give you a nice paycheck and maybe like a 0.5% of the gross and an executive producer credit. I also like either one of them as the tooth fairy. How did I not think of this? Oh my God, they should totally have been, okay, new story entirely. All right, Spencer <laughs> Brooklyn, you keep your job. So the okay. question. So I'm saying, oh, I love Aisha Tyler though. I don't. I don't want to recast Mother Nature. Mm. Uh, we can recast maybe, Father Time. Maybe he only has a few lines. It's true, and also it totally breaks up the the continuity error or or continuity weirdness of maybe maybe Peter Boyle killed Father Time. So Whoopi Goldberg. See, but I as, like that fan theory. I like your fan yeah, theory about that. Whoopi Goldberg as Mother Time. I'm gonna say. Okay. I'm gonna say Whoopi Goldberg as Mother Time. Danny DeVito with Kevin Pollock as a Cupid's brother. They have like a Staller and Waldorf thing going on. That's that, that is yeah. what I want. That's what I want to see. Awesome. All right. Let's call their agents up and then see if we can get Disney to, to work on that. They got uh, Lucasfilm. They can do it. They can, they can like see giant in. That's true. Jim, thank you again for being a returning guest on, Always a pleasure. on robots versus dinosaurs. I really enjoyed talking about this bonkers nutso movie with you. I mean, next time I'll come I, on, we can talk about like a, like not, I don't want to say a good movie, but maybe a movie that, <laughs> Maybe a Toy Story movie. Maybe a Toy Story movie. Yeah. Well, it's gonna be it's gonna be your choice, but you you let that marinate and let me know when you've decided. And I would love to have you back on. Before I let you go, do you have anything that you'd like to plug? Um, it's been a slow year for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Obviously, our bar um, Zoom Theater is going strong. This you can catch all gonna... the shows that we made in 2020 on our Facebook. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I actually wasn't aware of that. So, because we have actually the one coming up, I'm really excited for. That's one of the. You mean the one that was just last week? The one that was just last week. <laughs> um, no, that's like easily some of like the, I think one of the best collections of scenes Arbar's had in a very long time. Just like it's just like boom, 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 boom. Like I'm, I'm really excited for that one. I was really excited awesome. for that one and happy with how it turned out. Um, <laughs> Wonderful performance. You were uh, fantastic, Jeff. Oh, thank you. Jeez. There, you can check out the, the performance on our Facebook because it is recorded. There is a link in the show notes. So definitely, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're not familiar with Arbar and what we're talking about, definitely check that out in the show notes. What Please else you do. got, Jim? What else I got? I'm in a safe auto commercial, which is getting a lot of airplay now, apparently. Um, I recorded cool. I did it last year. I still haven't seen it on TV. I've seen like the YouTube video, but... I've now, like now more than ever, despite it being a year after I recorded it, and I think it aired like a few months later, I'm getting a lot of people like text me. It's like, dude, holy shit, I just saw you on. So I guess if you're watching TV and see a safe auto commercial, keep your eyes open. Aside from that, please stay safe. Please take care of yourselves and each other. If you absolutely need to travel to see loved ones this Christmas, wear a mask, stay socially distant wash your fucking hands please this we should not still be here 
just be safe and have a wonderful Christmas. That's all I ask of anyone. Jim, I think we should, we should wrap this up on a, just let's go back and forth, putting as many different possible inflections on ho, ho, ho as we can. I think you're right. So you start. Ho, ho, ho. 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 Oh, oh. oh, I'm I'm out of my that's yeah my tank's empty. <laughs> oh no, we got it. We can we can do that. Oh, 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 question mark. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that's all. Yeah. All right. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Here's my, all right, the North Pole is clearly Detroit. It's a plant. They have, it's freezing cold. They have mediocre football. Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to apocalypsepodcastnetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard.